Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this fine program. Today, I've got Brooks Childress and TP Hammock who will be joining us in just a few minutes. Brooks will only be on for the first hour, so a little bit of a rotating cast this afternoon as he will be getting off to Montgomery for the AHSAA Kickoff Classic, which our Borgard Hornets are competing in this evening against Selma. And so we are excited for the beginning of high school football season. So we will have Brooks off the first hour. TP be joining us in just a moment for the entirety of the show. Today on the show... We will have a, a lot of different things to go through. We will reveal Sports Call's Player of the Week. We will have a Sports Call more likely to happen in the 4 o'clock hour, and that will be based off of Auburn football topics. In the 5 o'clock hour, we continue on previewing the Power 5 leagues as we preview the Big Ten Conference today after previewing the ACC yesterday, after previewing the Big 12 on Monday and the Pac-12 on Tuesday, and so uh, SEC tomorrow, so we We'll wrap up our conference previews tomorrow, but we got the Big Ten today. Any news and notes from the world of Auburn to talk about? And, of course, birthdays and sports, nightly TV guide, and your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. For the moment, Ryan and Brooks with you here on the show today. Brooks, you were uh, hosting the High School Coaches Show last night for the first time this year. Good turnout, the End Zone Bar and Grill. Listen to some of that. Sounded good, and I hope uh, you thought the same, and good to have you here today, even if it's just for a short period of time. Yeah, I'm always happy to be on uh, Sports Call, no matter how long it is uh, in in length. Sometimes it's all three hours. Some days it's just one hour, but uh, ready to talk all things sports. Yeah, High School Coaches Show last night for us. The High School Coaches Show got underway. uh, uh, Pretty good crowd last night. We had a good turnout, talked to a lot of area coaches. Um, Hoping to get some more next week as well, and uh, yeah, opening week of high, or opening uh, day of high school football uh, outside of the AISA, the AHSAA opening day of high school football tonight. You got a few games in the around the area in uh, in five A tonight. There's I think there's three games including Beauregard's tonight, but the big one of course Selma and Beauregard at the AHSAA kickoff classic. And uh, yeah, I'll be down there and uh, Tim Sin and all the guys, the Beauregard guys, Beauregard boys, as we like to affectionately call them, will be down there calling the game right here on Tiger 95.9. So can't wait for that to get actual meaningful football on the field in, in the high school ranks. And I think that's what it was one of the, the, the themes of the night last night was talking to all the coaches is their teams are just ready to get out there and hit somebody that's not themselves. Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, Beauregard uh, going up against, you know, you're, you're going up against their number 
eight team ranked in the state uh, coming into this year. You're going up against the number eight team in the state every single day. You're ready to go out and hit somebody else. Uh, Auburn High was talking about the same thing. They're number two in 7A this uh, coming into the season. They're ready to go hit somebody else that's not the number two team with themselves. So it's uh, it, it's it's exciting time. Uh, week zero of college football is here. It is almost here. Saturday we get some live college football. And, uh, yeah, baseball season keeps rolling on. The Braves done with the Mets for the year. The Braves are done with the Mets until you see them next year, probably during spring training at some point. Uh, and and so it's uh, it's it's a fun time in sports. Can't wait to talk to all of our callers and uh, can't wait to uh, get this sports call show underway. How does it feel, Brooks, that tonight when you go to the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama, that you're going to be in a stadium of comparable size to the Vanderbilt Commodores? How does that feel? Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't. It, it it doesn't really hit you, does it? Yeah. <laughs> Crampton Bowl seats around twenty five thousand. Again, Vandy is one of those week zero games. We'll talk a little bit about tomorrow. And uh, again, I will be saying this probably once a week, at least through the Auburn Vandy game. That uh, only about twenty eight thousand seats for Vandy this year because of the lack of construction completion in the end zones. Uh, so uh, excited to have a great venue for these high school kickoff games. Uh, excited Beauregard to be a part of it. Again, we also want to remind you we are the home for Smith Station Athletics on our sister station, FM Talk at 93.9. Brant Daughtry, who are you here on this show once or twice a week, is the voice of the Smith Station Panthers. He will be on the call of that tomorrow night as they take on Pleasant Grove out of the Birmingham area. Uh, that one moved back about half hour, be about a 730 uh, kickoff central time, so 7 o'clock pregame. Of course, tonight, want to remind you that they pushed the games back an hour. So tonight's game, the broadcast will start roughly around 7.30 with uh, kickoff time shortly after 8 o'clock just due to all the heat, the 95 to 98 degree heat that we've had for several days and will continue to have for the next several days. So uh, that's our high school schedule and our family of radio stations. Getting into it here today on this thursday edition of the show though also uh, one more one more note keeping uh, or bookkeeping thing uh tonight is the atlanta falcons third preseason game of the year their preseason finale we are the home for the atlanta falcons but because of the conflict because it is a preseason game the atlanta falcons will not be airing on our station tonight in their third preseason game all regular season games and any potential postseason games will be on tiger 95.9 but due to the conflict uh, and Borgard being the kickoff classic and uh, Falcons still being in the preseason. No Falcons preseason coverage tonight. So if you are looking for that, you're wondering why that's not on. It's because of the Borgard Hornets getting their kickoff classic, getting their season underway. But, again, Falcons coverage will continue all season along with all 17 regular season games plus any postseason. So now we get into it here on this Thursday edition of the show. Nine days from kickoff. We are single digits away from Auburn and UMass and the plethora of games on a full college football Saturday next Saturday. Getting very excited uh, for sure. The start of a new era. I mean, we've talked a lot about the players. We've talked a lot about some of the other teams. We will continue to do that with the sports goal more likely to happen. But also to kind of state the obvious, Brooks, this is the beginning of a hopefully new era uh, of football for Auburn, a Another head coach about to have his first game in nine days uh, with Hugh Freeze, someone that obviously we are still familiar with from his time at Ole Miss, following him a little bit at Liberty. 
Uh, but all this optimism, all this talk about potential growth and hope for the future, these great recruiting uh, cycles that Auburn's in the middle of right now, it's all because of a new head man in charge and nine days away from seeing what Hugh Freeze is going to have for us here on the Plains. A little deja vu, isn't it? It feels like just yesterday we were saying, oh, it's a new era. The Brian <laughs> yeah. Harson era kicks off in just less than a week. And, yeah, it, it's and it, and it feels a little different. You know, it, it you know you, you were really excited about the, the Harson era, but you, you came into that era. It was the 2021 season was his first year. You were still kind of uh, grappling with the effects of COVID. How's that going to affect the, the, the year, uh, the 2021 season? How, you know, what's that? What's this season going to look like? So it, it's a little bit different different feeling you didn't have this lead up into a into a season with uh with this this much optimism about uh, a football team that realistically could finish you know around uh, seven and five six and six seven and five this year but it's just the the energy that's coming out of the program the energy that you that you can physically see in winning some of these recruiting battles, at least for now, uh, you know, obviously commitments can can move on and can can change. But you know, right now, uh, it's it, and it works the same way. Some of these big names that that Auburn's missed on, it's some of those recruiting processes aren't over. They're saying they're committed. You can still get in on them and, and have a have a chance to to uh, to win some of these battles still. But you've you've seen a lot of of optimism coming up to this year uh especially on the recruiting trail people are excited about this people are excited about the, what what could be uh with with Hugh Freeze this year um it's it's it really it's not a it's not excitement that we've seen since kind of the the year after, well, the year Gus Malzahn came back, I think there wasn't all there. The year before Gus Malzahn took over, everyone was kind of like, "Oh no, this is this is what we're looking at with the last year of Gene Chizik." And then Gus Malzahn came back. There wasn't a lot of big expectations, but people were excited. People were excited of what could happen. And I'm not saying. Let, let no. me just point this out. I'm not saying Hugh Freeze is going to make an SEC championship, shocking uh, Alabama and Georgia in in, in uh, miracle ways this year. But it, it feels like that same level of, of uh, optimism where you can you you see a guy come in you're excited about his his future at Auburn and you can see good things down the road and it it starts with this year and and really you know you look at the the first part of the schedule it's pretty favorable you know we talk we've talked all this uh, time UMass Cal and Sanford you can realistically see this team going three and oh and probably should expect this team to go three and oh um, and before you hit that first conference game against the Texas A&M team that we really don't have a full grasp. We think we know what could happen with the talent that's on the field, but we just don't know what they're going to do because we, we thought we knew what they were going to do last year, and they kind of face-planted. So it, it's, a, it's a fun start to the year. It's an interesting start to the year, and, and I think a lot of people are excited to get this, uh, get this season started. Yeah, you know, I would think that, you know, obviously there was some excitement going into 14 because of what happened in, in 13. I would say there'd be some excitement uh, with what happened in, in 17, just going into 17, getting Jared Stidham uh, into the fold and, and how big of a get that was transfer-wise. Obviously, 17 ended up being the second-best season of the Malzahn tenure. So I think there was excitement too in this year and those years, but there's also just nothing like the excitement of something new. Uh, it's it's just like it, you get by anything new, you're just automatically more excited about it because it's the opportunity for a new experience. And with Hugh Freeze, I think that obviously there's a lot of optimism with what he built 
recruiting-wise in the last nine or ten months. I mean, he's had something like 20-some-odd commitments in less than 12 months on the job. I mean, he's had a full class worth of commitments because he got half a class to complete last cycle, and now he's already got half or more than half of a class for the 2024 cycle. So all he he's checked the boxes off the field here in the first uh, eight months, nine months on the job. So now comes, well, the most important part and the, the stuff on the field. Uh, but as you said, you, you've got a first three games where you expect the kind of, in a way, ease into it. Not that Cal is the easiest thing ever existed, uh, but as far as Power 5 teams go, clearly on the bottom end of things. Uh, and then you go into what will be the key stretch of the season, those four games, uh, when you're talking about A&M, Georgia, LSU, and Ole Miss. I mean, that that will kind of determine uh, what kind of legs Auburn season will have and, and how they're, much they're improving from week to week in the midst of all that. But yeah, it's just uh, it, it's getting closer, and it's the realization that that it is very near. And I think to your point, I think people now, because of the offseason stuff, are more excited about it than than even with Harson, because a lot of people were just unsure how it was going to translate. It was more of a some sort of uneasiness because it wasn't like every single person wanted Malzahn out yet. I think some. I don't think anyone was staunchly against it, but I do think that people were like, eh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Let's rock with it. I assume support him, support Harson. You know, we'll see. When, whereas when Chiswick was out 12, everyone was like, yep, got to happen. You, you can't go 3-9 and nine and, and, and have the team quit. Like everybody understood that. Uh, and even to some degree, and, and look, I was very young then, correct me if I'm wrong, but even by the, the end of 08 in Tuberville with with Nick Saban having his first great year in Alabama and, and Tuberville going 5-7, and seven, having his worst at Auburn, it felt like even that was starting, that had finally run its course and, uh, and, and something was going to have to be done. So I think that the Harson case and, and, and was a little bit different in that you were going from the one coach that, was you could still make an argument for staying here a little bit longer, whereas everyone knew Harson needed to get out uh, by the middle of last year, and so I think that also builds into the excitement of uh, Hugh Freeze's tenure starting here uh, in just a matter of nine days on the football field. We're going to take our first time out when we come back. We'll have T.P. Hammock in the studio with us uh, joining us, and also we'll get to the Auburn Bank phone line and birthdays and sports. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. For another way to listen to our show, be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call and Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, and now TP Hammock with us on the show this afternoon. TP, hope you're doing well this afternoon. Yes, I'm doing great. Ready for the high school football season to kick off. We got Brooks here and the rest of our crew 
down in Montgomery at Crampton Bowl for the Beauregard Hornets versus the Selma Saints. So I get to board up that. But besides that, I'm excited for that. And I'm also excited for the college football slate this weekend, although it is not much. It is. Uh, we'll take it. Yeah, we, we will take it. That, that's a good way of putting it. I'll, uh, I was going to save most of that conversation for tomorrow, but I'll make sure I ask you before the show uh, just what you're uh, looking out for from those Saturday games. But before we continue on any further with the show, or I guess as we continue further on with the show, we go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Up first today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good and War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, did y'all hear about uh what Stephen A. Smith actually was talking about uh Tua about his new tattoo that he actually got as well? Uh I, I was thinking uh, I heard it from Ryan Clark. Uh I don't think Stephen uh, A. Smith yeah. yeah. I think Yeah, it was Ryan Ryan Clark yeah. that uh said that as well because I know um what Tua was actually saying he was saying, you know, the media, uh, the sports media needs to keep, you know, like, you know, Ryan, he was naming a lot of different people. He was naming, like, Stephen A. Smith, Ryan Clark, uh, Shannon Sharp, uh, uh, Marcus Spears, and many others that were just, you know, day in and day out talking about Tua Tonga Valoa, t- talking about he's not a great quarterback. I'm, I'm just going to say... Tua Tagovailoa, he is a good quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, he, you know, from his injuries when he played at at Alabama, and he had a little small key injuries when he played his rookie season in uh, Miami. I mean, he's a great quarterback, and I I really do think that the Miami Dolphins they might have a chance at the Super Bowl as well. You know, I I, I see that in 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 uh, in Miami as well. Yeah, I mean, they did have one of the best records in the league last year when he was healthy, or at least before he, he went out the first time. And uh, second-year head coach Mike McDaniel's philosophy is one that I agree with offensively. I think, uh, think he can end up being a good coach. So we'll see. But, again, that is a big if. Can you get Tua through a full season without injuries? They brought in Tyree Kill, who's obviously awesome. They have Jalen Waddle, So they got two of the most athletic wide receivers in the league. So it's an intriguing team. But at the end of the day, Tua's got to stay healthy. Yes, as well, because I'm actually uh, – I'm thinking that the the uh, Miami Dolphins, I, I see them actually being in the playoffs and actually winning the playoff uh, division uh Whenever that time actually comes, I'll probably see them actually playing in a divisional round playoff and and seeing if they can make it to the Super Bowl as well. And then I'm looking at um, Atlanta, so I think Atlanta might look like another Super Bowl team as well. Um, I'm looking at Tennessee because, I mean, Tennessee, they they look like a Super Bowl contender from last week, from week uh, one and two, so I think – Tennessee, they they look like a the Tennessee Titans. They look like a, a Super Bowl team that that needs to actually make their their chances of of going back to the Super Bowl as well. Because with the Tennessee Titans, um, before they were called the Tennessee Titans, they were called the Houston Oilers back in the day as well. And they've actually played in some Super Bowls back in the day as well. 
Yeah, and they also played in a Super Bowl as the Titans where they lost a heartbreaker to the Rams and uh, Dyson was down a yard short of the end zone and again, heartbreaking for Tennessee fans. Yeah, I don't know if I can discern too much from the preseason. I know that they have a very simple formula of give the ball to Derrick Henry a lot and and just have Tannehill kind of run some play action stuff and try to win lower scoring ball games. I I think that they've got a chance to win the AFC South. I think it's them or Jacksonville and I don't necessarily trust Jacksonville just because they had one good end to the year last year but uh, I I still don't think Tennessee's in the category of a Kansas City or a Buffalo or even a Cincinnati. Yeah because I mean everybody um, everybody's talking about that Kansas Chiefs that, that will be going back to the Super Bowl this year. I would probably say no because the Kansas City Chiefs, they already went to the Super Bowl. So I'll probably see them like host their Super Bowl probably like around 2025, 2026. Probably I'll just say 2025, uh, you know, uh, around that time they'll, they'll host the Super Bowl in, uh, in Kansas City. So instead of playing in the Super Bowl in, uh, in the year, in next year, next few years, I think uh, Kansas City would host the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, while Arrowhead Stadium certainly is a iconic stadium, one of the toughest places to play in the NFL. The NFL has kind of looked more towards either southern stadiums or, or stadiums with domes, uh, just to prevent weather from being a big issue. Kansas City in the month of February would be very susceptible in an outdoor stadium to some bad weather. Uh, so I think that would be one reason that would be unlikely. You know, they've tried to have it in places like Vegas, L.A. Um, obviously, they've uh, they've had it in Florida a couple times, and, and and they've had it all over the place. But but still, I think they prefer a dome stadium or a southern city. But uh, we'll see. Obviously, Kansas City will be making the playoffs for years to come, so we'll at least have some playoff games there. Yes, that's well because if they're looking at like a southern city, the only southern city that I would like to see. Uh, uh, a near uh, a future Super Bowl will be Atlanta as well. That that will bring a lot of um, money into the city of Atlanta because it's right there in the in the heart of Atlanta, and you have the you know you you actually have where uh, the Atlanta Falcons actually play and and they can actually play in that stadium as well. Uh, and I think it's a really good venue because you're right there in 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 proximity of everything as well. And it's a really um, way of entertainment is all around you as well. Yeah, would not be surprised if Atlanta uh, gets a Super Bowl in the coming years. Uh, again, that stadium is one of the better ones in the league. It's south, it's a dome, and so definitely uh, could see how that would happen. What else is on your mind today? Well, I know that you all are actually going to be covering on the Big Ten, if I did say that correctly. Yes, we uh, Big Ten preview later today. Yes, because I know I'm actually looking at some uh, Big Ten teams. I'm looking at Ohio State and um, Nebraska, and and seeing some of those some of those teams that I'm going to be looking at this weekend, um, and and pretty much seeing who's going to actually go to the Big Ten uh, championship game this year. And I'm looking at like. Um, I'm I'm thinking Nebraska. I haven't seen Nebraska actually play in a Big Ten national championship game, but I think Nebraska might might play their their cards right as well because I think they they look like a good team this year as well, and they look like a strong Power Five or Power Ten team as well. Yeah, I mean Nebraska. 
has a, a certain history about them. They are in rebuild mode, though, after the failed Scott Frost tenure. Uh, hiring Matt Rule is interesting. I, I think they will get better. I certainly think that. And they are in the weaker division of the Big Ten, but I still don't think that they're ready, uh, ready to make that big of a jump. But I know that, obviously, their intent is to become a winning program again, and that sort of thing can still take some time. But I do think Matt Rule... Uh, with the success he had at Baylor, I, I think that they will become relevant here pretty shortly. Yes, as well, because I know with uh, week zero right around the corner this weekend, I'm going to be looking at some good games. I'm going to be looking at Florida because I know uh, Florida, they look like a good team, but I was uh, looking at their new documentary that they have on Netflix, the uh, backstory on, um, I think it's like the untold story of Florida and I was seeing like some games that I could remember when Urban Meyer was the head coach at Florida. I mean, Florida, they were like up and down a couple of years. They went, they went like one and oh, one year. And then as years passed, they, they just fell right off, you know, right off the, off the radar. You know, they lost to Alabama. They lost to, uh, Auburn. They lost to, um, uh, South Carolina, they lost to Georgia, and it, it was it was a it was a way way hard decision for Urban Meyer to take a program like Florida from you know being a, a one and done program to making you know Florida actually a national championship team as well. Well, I mean, they had had success before. Uh, I know Ron Zook was before Urban Meyer, but before Zook, I mean, Spurrier is what really put Florida on the map continuously there for a, a decade or so, and, and they won a lot of games, won some championships, and uh, they were a big deal there. So Urban wasn't doing anything necessarily that had never been done at Florida, uh, and his run was you know about five, six, seven years in there before he – had the rough 2010 and, and had the emergency situation and ended up bowing out at Florida. But, uh, you know, I mean, they, they I think people were disappointed with the documentary because they wanted a little more dirt on Florida. There was some, some stuff off the field that we would love to hear more about. But uh, those Florida teams with Urban Meyer were quite good for the most part. Yes, that's well, because I've, um, I mean, it's like a four part series into it. So, um, like, the, like, I'm actually right now, I'm in, uh, like the third part right now. And then the fourth part is when, uh, Florida actually tried, they were like, you know, their last couple of, uh, seasons, they were actually trying to make it to the national championship game, but they never, they never got a, a, a huge chance to actually make it to the national championship game as well, because some of those guys, um, you know, they, they, you know, when, when they actually, talk about like their their workout sessions it was more of like a military workout for for those guys as well uh james uh, florida won two national championships under urban meyer they won in 06 with uh chris leak as quarterback mm-hmm. and then they won in 08 with tebow yes 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 i did see that one on uh, on their documentary when they um actually picked uh uh tim tebow as well and he was a really good uh quarterback as well and with me actually talking about Tim Tebow he will actually be in Montgomery at the um, Montgomery Performing Arts Center uh, this coming up uh, week at the end of August as well all right that uh, that'll be very exciting what else is on your mind today 
Well, I'm actually um, going to be looking at the upcoming uh, race schedule for um, Daytona, so I'm going to be watching that one and uh, seeing uh, what's going to happen because I know this is going to be um, one race that I actually like, and this one is under the light. Um, and I think I like this one because it's more uh, – it has a historic feel to it, and, and once it's Daytona, it, it, it's, um, it always – you know, gives um, right in my heart as well because with um, Daytona and uh, seeing some of these racer, seeing some of these uh, NASCAR drivers that I've seen in the past, like uh, Darren Earnhardt Sr. and uh, Darren Earnhardt Jr. actually uh, racing in Daytona, and and that this this race actually uh, this track is is very um, familiar to me as well. Yeah, it's uh, one of, if not the most iconic tracks in NASCAR. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, sort, certain, excuse me. That's where the Daytona 500 always is held. Uh, a lot of famous finishes there, and it's always very exciting. It's a good race to end the regular season on. Any final thoughts for us today, James? Before we have to let you go. Well, um, I do have actually one final thought because I know uh, last week, uh, well, yesterday was uh, the 23rd, which was uh, Kobe Bryant's actually birthday. So. Uh, they're actually going to be doing a uh, statue in front of uh, the Lakers uh, facility. They're going to actually reveal that next year on February the 8th of 2024. So that's going to be a huge ceremony that um, that the NBA TV is actually going to be picking up as well. So I'm going to be watching that one on February the 4th of 2024 i mean february 8th of 2024 as well yeah i did see that that was uh that was good to see i know vanessa bryant uh kobe the late kobe's wife um announced that today and being of course on 2824 incorporating both of kobe's numbers there in 8 and 24 i think that's a great idea and uh we'll be looking forward to that yes as well because he's um, Kobe Bryant, he's a, a really good player on and off the court. I, I actually seen, uh, some great iconic moments with, uh, Kobe Bryant as for me as a Dallas Mavericks fan, seeing, um, you know, Dallas and, uh, seeing my Dallas Mavericks play against the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I think that one, that game, I think that was like 2013 or 2014, actually. Probably 2014. I'll, I'll probably keep that one as well because I know that one is a, a really good memory in the back of my mind as well. And and that that memory of um, of Dirk Nowitzki and uh, Kobe Bryant actually playing playing in the fourth quarter that that memory will always stick with me to the test of time as well. Absolutely, one of the greats. Absolutely. All right, sounds good, and I'll talk to y'all guys on Friday, and I'll have some uh, great trivia for y'all on Friday as well. All right, we'll look forward to it. All right, sounds good, and War Eagle. War Eagle, that is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to take our next time out. Back with birthdays and sports and more right after this.
easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. This is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401, locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. A lot coming up in the next two hours. Again, we will reveal Sports Call's Player of the Week. Uh, Sports Call, more likely to happen, give you a few topics. Some of them wild. That's the point of more likely to happen. They're not like high probabilities. It's not what... Not going to be like, will someone rush for 50 yards this year? Well, yes, I think they will. I think that's very likely to happen. So we'll give you some scenarios there. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, today, as always, a sports call 5 at 5, and that will be centered around the Big Ten as we will preview the Big Ten Conference in the 5 o'clock hour. Before we go any further in the show today, though, let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. All right, birthdays in sports today. Cal Ripken Jr. turned 63. The Iron Man. Yes, sir. Former shortstop in Major League Baseball. Ripken played from 1981 to 2001. Ripken had one of the most successful MLB careers in history. Before he was a professional, Cal was playing high school ball in Maryland. Go. He went to Aberdeen High School. Go Eagles. He was selected 48th overall in the 1978 draft by the Baltimore Orioles. Ripken is a 19-time All-Star, World Series champion, two-time AL MVP, eight-time Silver Slugger Award winner, two-time Gold Glove Award winner, but most impressive of them all, a record that I'm... The sheet says May. I'm going to go ahead and break the news. A record that will never be broken. Played 2,632 consecutive games. We're praising people that can play 162 one time. Yeah. And uh, 2,600 games in a row for Cal Ripken Jr. Over 31 hits, 400 homers, 1,600 RBIs in his career. His number eight is retired by Baltimore, and he's a member of the Orioles Hall of Fame in 2007, as he should have been. He was the first ballot selection in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Cal Ripken Jr. is 63 today. Load management, never heard of her. Never heard of it. Reggie Miller turns 58 today, former NBA guard for the Indiana Pacers. Miller's considered to be one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. Miller played collegiately at UCLA. Go Bruins! Before being selected 11th overall in the 1987 NBA draft by the Pacers where he would play his whole career. Miller's a five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA third-team selection. Remember the NBA 75th anniversary team and his number 31 is retired by the Pacers. His number 31 is also retired by UCLA. Miller retired as the all-time NBA leader in three-point field goals made with 25-60 before Ray Allen passed him. He has ended his career with over 25,000 points as a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame. Reggie Miller went to Riverside Polytechnic High School in Riverside, California. Go Bears! Go Bears! (laughs) Reggie Miller is 58 today. Arian Foster turns 37, former NFL running back. Foster played college ball at Tennessee from 2004 to 2008. He went undrafted in 2009 before signing with the Houston Texans. 
There he would have a very successful career, a two-time first-team All-Pro, second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, and led the NFL in rushing touchdowns twice. He finished with over 6,500 rushing yards, 54 rushing touchdowns, alongside over 2,000 receiving yards with 14 receiving touchdowns. Arian Foster went to Mission Bay High School. Go Buccaneers. Go Bucks. There you go. Absolutely. Now, why did Tampa not? Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, Arian Foster, 37 today. And Trace McSorley is 28, current NFL quarterback for the New England Patriots. Before his professional career, McSorley was a three-star recruit before committing to play for Penn State. We are. Uh, there, McSorley would have a very successful career at Penn State. He owns six Penn State records, including most passing yards in a single season, most passing touchdowns in a single season, most career total yards of offense, and total touchdowns in a season. During his time, he was a Fiesta Bowl champion and MVP, Big Ten champion and MVP, and three-time second-team All-Big Ten selection. He was selected in the sixth round of the 2019 NFL Draft. Trace McSorley went to Briar Space Woods High School. Excuse me? <laughs> Briar Woods. I put the space because uh-huh. I don't want people to get It's in Virginia. Uh-huh. Go Falcons. Briar Woods. I went to Briar Wood, a yes. singular just, wood. Just one just one tree. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, but okay, that's uh, that's where Trace McSorley went to high school. He is 28 today. Those are the birthdays in sports. Trace McSorley, 28. Arian Th- Foster, 37. Reggie Miller, 58. Kyle Ripken Jr., 63. Speaking of baseball, didn't get to this yesterday. Uh, wanted to. But last night, they had on the Braves broadcast the second rendition of... The Hall of Famer booth, the Brave Legend booth, my Chef Francoeur. The GOAT booth. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Shipper Jones, and Jeff Francoeur in the booth last night. Braves won decisively against the Mets, 7-0. Glavin got his home run call. I know it can't happen. I know it's not how it works, but in a perfect world, I'll be honest, I would just have those four in the booth every game. Yep. I know it doesn't work that way. I know you got to have a play-by-play and all that, and I know Smoltz is a national guy. I know all the things that are wrong with 162 games of that. Believe me, but Chipper uh, likes to you know have a crown while watching the game, right? Uh, it, it just is. I, I mean, for Braves lifers, which look, I mean, those guys are legends. Not only are the Braves are legends of the game, but they all bring a different personality, and it's just cool to see guys that. Truly like to be around of each other, around each other, feel part of something, can articulate the game, still mean something to the Braves. Like I know Smoltz to a degree because he's a national guy, he doesn't do too much of that, but he still, I mean, he he did a whole series with the Braves in the in the Yankees series last week. You know, Glavin still does games. You know, Chipper loves the Braves. He still works with the Braves and works with some of the hitters. Frank Core obviously works there. Like it's it's. I don't know. It's it's a small thing in the scheme of things, but I really enjoy that these Braves guys still love hanging around the Braves and wanting to be a part of whatever they can be a part of here after their playing careers. Yeah, and and it's it's fun for the fans too because you you see guys, you know, you you get the uh, the former players in the booth and it's you're you're where you're with the play-by-play guy and it you they not they're not stiff but it's like they're trying to be a little more professional everything but when you're up there with you know your your buddies like that you 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 get the guys to cut up a little bit you get them to show their you know show more personality like you said um they're they tell stories about when they were playing it's it's just an overall great experience for the for fans watching the game and don't get me wrong play by play Brennan Gordon doing a great job 
Absolutely. Chip Carey did a great job when he was there. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to take them, you know, don't want to, you know, and being a, a someone who aspired growing up to be a play-by-play man and, you know, start getting to uh, live part of my, my dream now as, as, you know, filling in a little bit and, and doing all this stuff. Don't want to take that away, but it, it's a it's a good treat every once in a while. I think they should do it more often next year. Maybe you know once a month or something. Throw them in the booth. See if that you can get them in the booth. Um, it, it's it's just a nice treat for the fans. And it was hilarious last night when they came on and three of them were wearing the Hall of Fame jackets and Frank yes. Corr's just there without it. It was just it was hilarious. I saw a uh, a behind the scenes video that I think Bally Sports posted on their Twitter today of them like pulling them out and handing them to them. And Jeff Francoeur had no idea they were going to do it. And he, you saw him go like, "Oh man, come <laughs> on now." <laughs> yeah, no, again, and, and that's the thing too is like you can tell that even amongst guys that didn't play with each other as much, like and Francoeur's kind of perfect for this because he is easygoing, but it's like they have such a good rapport that it comes from obviously playing together. But again, for Frank core to have that, he really didn't play much with Smoltz and, and, and Glavin. He, he overlapped a couple of years, Yeah, uh, but he was not overlapping much, not like chipper being on those teams for double digit years. And it's, it's just so awesome too, because look, obviously I wasn't around in the eighties. I was decidedly born in the nineties, but the Braves had had a long, a pretty good long tenure of losing uh, prior to uh, getting into the 80s, but then uh, particularly the early 90s when it all turned around. And so to then have what's basically been 30 years of excellence, uh, starting with that early 90s, even the, even with the World Series loss, starting with the early 90s and, and going on. And yes, you could do the commentary about only two titles during that and and, and only a certain amount of penance, whatever. But they have just absolutely owned the National League Eastern Division. They have absolutely been awesome uh, in building teams. And they've had to regenerate it uh, a couple of different times. And it proves that they have a great organizational philosophy and they hire the great people up top because they did it with pitching in the 90s with – the best trio ever with Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. And then they kind of extended it for a little while, even though those guys got old in the early 2000s. Then it broke up, and you know they, they had kind of a short-lived thing where they had gotten the Uptons, they'd made some moves, um, and, and had a, a couple random teams in there. But then they were able to get a whole new style player and now they're doing it with offense. This offense is trying to set multiple records. Not only franchise, it will set multiple franchise records, but it's trying to set multiple MLB records. It's it's every day. I mean, it's neck and neck with the 2019 Twins. And they were talk, the guys were talking on the broadcast about this last night, about, again, reminder for people why, 20, why it was 2019, because the ball was juiced that year. And, and that's not, and that's not really a conspiracy because if you look at it, the Twins hit I think three hundred and seven. Oh, by the way, you know who hit the second most all time? The twenty nineteen New York Yankees who hit three oh six. So the whole league was doing that that year. Um, and and so I'm not going to try to get into this petty war of like if the Braves land at three oh four, if that should still be the real record and all that. I mean the record's the record, but remember that twenty nineteen. There was some sort of outside influence of to why 
there were more home runs that year because believe me, the Twins. I, I mean, if you just looked at roster stuff, you're not going to take the 19 Twins over this Braves team. You're not doing it. I'm sorry, you wouldn't do it. Um, and even I would say there's other Yankees teams in history that you would be willing to take up against the 19 Yankees. With all due respect to, obviously, Judge is awesome, and, and Stanton had a great year and all that, but there's other Yankees teams just as powerful. So anyway, I, I know I'm going on a little bit of a, a spiel there, but but um, you know they, they have built such a consistent history. It's, it's a little less dynastic than the team, or a little bit less... I guess end of the road success than this organization that I'm that I'm about to bring up, but the but the most obvious comparison to me now, granted they're going through it right now. We'll see how long it takes them, but it feels like the Spurs. It's the baseball version of the Spurs because it wasn't necessarily just one person because it kind of started with David Robinson and then Tim Duncan was the guy for 18, 20 years, whatever it was. Um, and they were going to have it again with Kawhi, by the way, and then that ended up being a whole thing with the injury, all that. We'll see if Wimbanyama ends up being the the next wave for San Antonio. But the Braves kind of feel like that where, okay, they're not entitled by market to be the biggest franchise in the league or be the most successful. They're middle market in the scheme of things. But they're able to – just perfect the art of player development and they do things on the margins well they get the they got the contracts done they needed to get done and and uh and, and still so i just i don't know i'm just saying don't take these braves teams for granted or this organization for granted i know baseball can be a very frustrating thing in the playoffs because you play so many to then play so few and you have three out of fives and four out of sevens after you played 162 and, and so that kind of randomness means that, hey, you maybe don't win even though you're the best team as often. But this team's going to be around 100 wins. This team's awesome. It's them and the Dodgers, as far as I'm concerned, in the National League. If there's any other result into the NLCS or into the World Series, then the Braves, Dodgers, NLCS, and one of those two come out in the World Series, it's, it's not the best team, period. It, it would not have been the best team. Uh, and still trying to figure out the American League because there's a lot of moving parts over there. There's four or five teams that could end up being in the World Series in the American League uh, that you could make different arguments for. But and the fact that the Braves are clearly one of the two National League, they're clearly one of the two or three in baseball, and there's absolutely no reason they won't be that for the next five to seven years. There's There's zero reason whatsoever to that. That's just a great feeling. And so I say all that to say, I wrap this up, I wrap this hour up by saying, you had that in the 90s with those pitchers. You saw that last night. Even Maddox came on that broadcast for an inning and Fred McGriff joined and all that. But you're going to have that with these hitters too. You're going to have that. You're going to look back in 20 or 30 years and you're going to be celebrating Matt Olson and Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies the same way that you celebrated those pitchers in the 90s. And that's going to be awfully cool. We are out of time for the first hour of the show. Brooks, thank you for being here for that hour. We look forward to hearing you maybe a little bit tonight. I know you'll be trying to help them uh, set set up shop in the Crampton Bowl, but uh, appreciate being here for the hour, and I know we'll talk again tomorrow. Yes, sir. Uh, we continue on with this Thursday edition of the show after this timeout. Again, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, Sports Calls Player of the Week and a more likely to happen Auburn football edition. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and T.P. Hammock with you here for the remainder of the show. Again, we remind you that Borgard High School football coming up 7.30 airtime, 8 o'clock kickoff from the Crampton Bowl tonight in the HSA kickoff classic. And so, uh, again, an hour later because of heat. Tomorrow night, FM Talk 93.9, Smith Station football, 30 minutes later, 7 o'clock airtime, 7.30 kickoff. And then immediately following that game, might have to join it in progress. But if it is over in time, starting at 10 o'clock, the Alabama High School Athletic Association scoreboard show, uh, as that will be on 10 o'clock to midnight each and every Friday night on FM Talk 93.9. So high school sports programming getting underway. Coming up in a few minutes, we will reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week, and then we'll get into some sports call more likely or ha- to happen this year for Auburn football. Uh, before we do that, though, want to give TP, want to give you a chance to talk a little week zero here as we're going to save the, most of it for tomorrow. But since you're not on tomorrow's show, want to get uh, – I know you're excited for football to return. I believe it's seven games on uh, week zero tomorrow – or on Saturday, excuse me. And obviously – uh, there's only a couple ranked teams. They're not playing games that they should lose. But uh, what do you what are you looking forward to most? I guess in week zero. Well, I mean Notre Dame versus Navy in Dublin. You know that's the first game of the season. It'll be on NBC and Peacock uh, at 1:30 p.m. our time, uh, Central Time. I think that one's going to be interesting to see how Sam Hartman does at Notre Dame. I don't think Navy's going to win. That's more of just me being curious to see how Sam Hartman does. Sure. And. Uh, but besides that, I'm interested in uh, UTEP and Jacksonville State just because that's a state thing. Want to see how Jacksonville State does in their Conference USA debut with a uh, a respectful opponent they uh, in UTEP. And then I'm excited for Hawaii at Vanderbilt just because I think that is – there's a lot going on at Vanderbilt right now. They're still constructing the stadium, to my knowledge. Uh, I, I don't think that will be done anytime soon. Uh, but also just um, – you know, Hawaii's. I have a I have a love for Hawaii. You know, they are always on after midnight, and they are usually losing as of late. So it, it's interesting to see them go and play at Vanderbilt. You know, last year I, I bought the Rainbow Warrior stock, and I was uh, crushed for said uh, stock in week one. Whenever Vanderbilt put down a uh, a beating of epic proportions on the Rainbow Warriors, but I mean. I, USC versus uh, San Jose State. I think they'll just be Caleb Williams 
deciding to just rack draw, up some numbers. Yeah, yeah, it'll be. Uh, it, I don't think that'll be very close. But overall, I would say those three games and UMass at New Mexico State for Auburn fans. If you yeah. want to, if you want to check out UMass and later in the season, very late in the season, they do play New Mexico State, the Aggies. That will be on ESPN. Uh, don't think either of those teams have. Uh, had a big game like that where, I mean, reasonably. They get the ESPN at 6 o'clock on a Saturday Yes, night. yes. And uh, realistically, I mean, this is one of the more winnable games for these two teams uh, because their schedules usually have some tough games, some bye games, as they say. But I, I will be watching a lot of these games. I'm a, I'm a college football fanatic, so I will, I'm just happy it's back. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, normally – you got two teams on the the schedule playing each other that Auburn's going to be playing later. You get really excited about it, like, ooh, I'm going to scout them and I'm going to be up and see what uh, could bother us. But it's like, no, there's there really shouldn't be anything about UMass or New Mexico State that should bother Auburn, or, or that would be a problem. Yeah, New Mexico State though, I'll, I'll give them all the credit in the world. That has been a struggling program for many years. I mean, years on years. But but they were able to hire Jerry Kill, who's been at Minnesota, and he was an interim coach for TCU briefly. But uh, he's done a really good job there. They won their first bowl game, and I don't know how long. I think they only have three bowl wins and program history and they've been playing since the 50s and 40s i'm pretty sure but yeah i think new mexico state that's a really good story for those who aren't totally in the weeds of college football if you want to see a good story last year's new mexico state team was a really really fun story a really really heartwarming story and it seems like they have a lot of momentum and umass is well the exact opposite of momentum as they went one and eleven last year under Don Brown, who is former Michigan defensive coordinator for many years. Uh, so, I mean, the, he's from that area. So, if I mean, that's just a tough – that's a tough ask for any coach in that area to recruit. And you have to play a lot of the bye games, like I was talking about, where you have to go play SEC teams. But, I mean, if – you know what? You have to have hope. And <laughs> so, I, I believe the Minutemen hopefully believe in Coach Don Brown. You know, and – you started off there with talking a little bit about Notre Dame and Navy, and obviously Navy has the unique style of, of triple option and all that. Notre Dame, though, is going to be interesting with Sam Hartman this year. Again, that's a team that I'm looking forward to seeing. I think that they, despite most people always feeling that they are overrated, I think they're pretty properly rated to start this year because they played like a top-20 team last year, really, really – Ever since week three, they played that way. And, of course, they ended up around the top 20 after they did beat South Carolina in a bowl game. And then you add Sam Hartman to that uh, with, look, we still to a degree don't know everything we need to know about Marcus Freeman. But, you know, Hartman is awesome. He took Wake Forest to places that Wake Forest really normally does not go. And and so I I think that Notre Dame has a real chance to – to have a big win or two this year and with their three biggest games and having Ohio State, USC, and Clemson, I mean, they're playing three teams that have playoff aspirations this year. Yeah, that's what I was just about to talk about. We always, at least down here, it's been this narrative for many years now, and I'm I'm as big as a, uh, you know, I, I used to always say this. They, they always would have the easy schedule. That was always the complaint. Well, this year, they, they heard all the criticism. It looks like they scheduled themselves a really hard game. For those who are unaware, you're at NC State. Now, that's not a great ACC program but they're a very they're a very solid program you're you host Ohio State 
You're at Duke, who has a ton of momentum, a lot of returning starters. You're at Louisville, who has a lot of uh, momentum. I think Notre Dame will win that, but I'm just saying it's sure. not it's yeah, not They're easy. bowl teams. They're yeah, at least yeah. bowl teams that you're going to on yeah. the road. Uh, host USC, that's Heisman winner. Uh, and at Clemson is going to be, I mean, you get to play in Clemson. That's one of the hardest places to win. I remember they had a very long home winning streak. So uh, I will give the Fighting Irish their credit. They This is one of the hardest schedules in the country. I don't think many people will argue that. It's it's a very difficult schedule, but if they can, if they can navigate it with Sam Hartman, I mean, I think they could go ten and two, and that'd be a pretty good year. Ten and two, eleven and one. So. They're they're basically playing with their ACC slate, but at least perceived wise, we'll see obviously how it shakes out. But they're probably playing six of the top eight to nine ACC teams. The only ones they're not is Florida State, and North Carolina. Everyone else, though, from Clemson to Pitt to NC State to Louisville, Duke, they're all playing. All those teams that will be in the middle of the ACC, therefore, be bowl teams. So, although some of those maybe don't stick out, it's possible one or two of those do end up as ranked teams or at least eight win teams that end up solid games. And then, as you said, I mean, we know Ohio State's going to be at a certain level, a bad year for them is 10 and 2. We know that USC this year is going to be very well tested. We talked earlier this week about the last six games and how five of them are really all their five toughest games in the last six. So, that will be basically starting that stretch for USC Uh, and then for Clemson Clemson's got that big hurdle early in the year with Florida State then it kind of goes down for a little while for them but then it ramps back up towards the end with that Notre Dame game with South Carolina shortly after that Uh, so Notre Dame is interesting this year and I just think that with the quarterback of Sam Hartman's ability even if Notre Dame's maybe a little disappointing in some other areas Hartman's going to give him a chance he's going to score the football uh, from time to time, and, and and going to beat one of those three teams. I, I I would I would not put money on Notre Dame being two and one that stretch, but I would be willing to say Notre Dame's going to find one of those three and upset somebody's day uh, at, at some point there and end up. Look, if they end up ten and two, that's going to be another New Year's Six bowl if they uh, keep it to those three games and, and win one of them at the end of the day. Three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine. We now go back to the Auburn Bank phone line. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve has joined us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, feeling good. Getting close to kicking off time next week. Yes, sir. Uh, how about you guys? Who's on today beside yourself, Ron? Uh, just me and TP. TP. Yes, um, Steve. <laughs> how's classes going, TP? They're going well. I was able to get out of my class. Um, we were let go a, a earlier today, so I was able to get here. Uh, not terribly behind, just missed like, uh, I, was, I think it was about eight minutes behind, but that's okay. We've been talking some football, and so that makes me very happy because, as I've said on here before, I'm a diehard football fan. So I'm excited for all the football this weekend, high school, college, and then next weekend, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm going to be so excited. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that you are attending classes because I didn't in my freshman year. <laughs> well, TP's more than a freshman; he is a senior, so maybe, maybe as a freshman, maybe he missed a few. I don't know, but no, he's attending. Okay, them. well, yeah. we won't go to that. I'll just I'll tell you, I didn't take it very seriously when I should have. So, uh, good for you. I'm glad you're uh, attending all your uh, classes. All right, let's get to it, guys. I'm looking at the lines here uh, for the uh, uh, first week's uh, game. I guess it's called zero week. Is that right? Week zero. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the uh, UMass New Mexico State line? New Mexico State by about six or seven, I think. Seven points, yeah. Seven, and yeah. fourth line has New Mexico State winning thirty-four to nineteen. Uh, the total on that is forty-five points. Uh, you guys uh, like New Mexico State to cover? 
Yeah, I mean, well, I, <laughs> I well, you're getting into the weeds of it. I don't have a strong opinion, although to say that this is one of the true bottom matchups you can have in the FBS. So, uh, I look, I, I have, I can't even tell you with certainty that they're going to be fired up about it because I have no idea about the New Mexico State football fan base. I just know that it's a six o'clock ESPN game. It's a rare opportunity for them and. I again, I I don't know how that game will go, but I will tell you yeah. they like I said they have I said in the beforehand they have a lot of program momentum and UMass does not have a lot of program momentum because New Mexico State did get a bowl win last year which doesn't sound like much to us but for those smaller sure. programs especially one that has struggled as much as New Mexico State that was a huge thing so I I believe that the Aggies will take care of the Minutemen on Saturday. All right, and another poll of ours I'm looking at right now is Cal. Uh, they're going to be playing who? North Texas on uh, September the second, and the line's already out. North Texas is uh, getting points at home. They're getting seven points. Yeah, that that's and, an official uh, week one game, not week zero. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look I, again. Cal's not supposed to be uh, very good this year. Uh, they were not great last year. Um, I was trying to to look it up to, well, I mean, Cal is still Cal is still favored though, correct? They're favored by seven, right? Right. And, okay. and the Sports Lines uh, computer has Cal losing twenty six to twenty five. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, North Texas has had some good years as a late conference, you say, but obviously, if you're playing a near fifty fifty game or a sixty forty game uh, with a team like North Texas, that's not supposed to really stand out this year. Then uh, I mean again that that kind of shows you what the the thought is on Cal. Okay, uh, and I'll look ahead. Uh, also, uh, the LSU Florida State game, they had LSU uh, favored by two and a half, but actually losing outright the game to FSU twenty seven twenty five. What do you think, guys? So you, so they say that so say that again. You they're, they're Florida State's two and a half point favorites, but LSU to no, cover. No, no, no. No, no. LSU is a two and a half point favorite, uh, but they have Florida State actually winning the game outright, twenty seven twenty five. That's interesting. I I was talking about this last night with uh, some of my other SEC student journalists. I I honestly think that uh, LSU's biggest mismatch, and this could be controversial, but I think it's the head coaching. Uh, Brian Kelly is I well more established head coach than Mike Norvell. I'm not saying Mike Norvell is bad, but I think just in head coaching, I think that should be able to get you that win over Florida State. But I do think it'll be close. I think that's uh, I'd, I'd have that line around that around three. And so. I and I know there was the news that uh, Mason Smith, the top D tackle for LSU, will not be eligible to play in that game. He was suspended for one game, and he is. One of their best defensive players for sure, but then again, he got hurt in that game last year. He did not conclude the game last year, so uh, I don't know if that would move the line at all here in the, in the coming days. All right, moving on. Uh, the Spun has this article by Cameron Duncan saying, National College Football Reporter predicts SEC coach will be fired this year. Who do you think uh, they said it will be fired this year, guys? Who would be fired uh, this I year? Think, I think – I think uh... – I'm going to go with Drinkowitz of Missouri. That'd be the only one. Or or Billy Napier, one of those two. Okay, very good. Very good, TP. Well, Stuart Mandel predicts that Napier will be fired after a, hold on, a 3-9 and nine season Whoa. that sees him going 1-7 in the SEC. Now, you know the line uh, or the total uh, from Vegas is 5.5 uh, right. wins for Florida. 
Guys, do you see that happening? Yeah, going with a little bit of a hot take there for Florida. The, the problem for the Gators is their path to a bowl game. And, and look, I do think we have to frame it that way. I mean, they, they're just trying to be a bowl team this year. Is they've got two non-conference games that they're probably not favored in. I mean, just point blank against Utah, uh, who they did beat in the swamp last year, but now they got to go to Utah and then against uh, Florida State, obviously, at the end of the year. If you go two and two the non-conference, you have to come up with four SEC wins, and I'm not sure that Florida is capable of that this year. Sure, they can beat Vandy. I, I think, obviously, I think they can beat Missouri, too. They can beat South Carolina and Kentucky, but that's starting to get in those games where depends on how they're playing. Depends on the 50-50 nature of some of that. Uh, I do not think they're beating LSU in, in one of those crossover games. I forget who the other one is right now. But, uh, I mean, look, if you lose two non-conference games and you're a teetering team in the league, being 4-4 four and four in the SEC is not the easiest thing in the world to do. But, I, I mean, this is – I mean, a dramatic. Sure, I mean, three and nine is dramatic. I don't agree with that. Three and nine, and one and seven. The SEC probably do that. Yeah, I mean, no. If they're losing to Missouri, then again, that look, Mandel's thought process is right in that if they do go three and nine, I do think they would fire him because that would be uh, unbelievable. Despite the great recruiting that they're doing right now, by the way, they're doing some really great recruiting, uh, but but. If they go three and nine at Florida, I mean, I I still think that's just there's still a couple of things that you just automatically get fired for doing, especially if it's outside of year one. And three and nine is one of them. Like I, it, I again, that's if that happened at Auburn in year two, don't care, fired, gone, don't care, uh, don't care about the recruiting at that point. Uh, so I, I think that if if he's right in that, if they do have that bad of a year. That would be the result. I just simply don't think it's going to be that bad. I think they'll be around six wins. So even if well, it says here that he has a top three class, I know Florida's ranked that high. Yeah. Even with that, you still would let him go. Yeah, I mean, if if there's constant, I mean, because that would be worse than last year. Like, like you start at a pretty low place last year, okay? Uh, what, six and seven after they they lost yeah. the bowl game to Oregon State? Yes, yeah, six and uh, seven. So if you go that far back, where again, I can, if you're stagnant, fine, things, roster things change. Like, I, I, I can patiently wait one more year because the program has been so, so up and down. I can give you another year, especially with the class, but if you're going to go that far down, that means other people around you have gotten better than you and that you've lost ground to teams like Missouri and South Carolina, which quite frankly, Florida should not be losing ground to, to South Carolina really ever. And they certainly be, shouldn't be losing ground to Kentucky ever. So, I mean, you know, they, they can't – even though it's just two years, there are levels to everything, and there's there's you got to maintain a certain reasonable amount of development. And if you're going three and nine with that – what? Why would a top five class mandate you're all of a sudden go ten and two? Because that's eventually the expectation. Like Florida is going to expect to be in the twelve team playoff most years. So can you guarantee that or feel good about that if you go three and nine at any point with anybody? No, not really. All right, but if you let him go after what second year, then you got to start fresh again all over, and that's usually not a good um, look. Start way to start. Sure, I mean, but but again sometimes you got to do that Auburn cut ties with Brian Harson less than two years because it was obvious you know sometimes it's just obvious that it's not going to go in a certain we direction also, excuse me uh, for interrupting but we didn't have a top three recruiting class either well sure sure I mean but but again those recruits in this day and age recruits buy you a year 
Like, they're not guaranteed to be on your campus long. Ask, ask, uh, ask Texas A&M. They lost, like, half of that number one recruiting class. Now, fortunately, they had other really good classes that people don't talk about, so they still have a lot of talent in there. That's why there's still a hope for this year. A lot of those guys that played last year are back. It's just the guys that were five stars that were second string last year that left. But, again, if you can't take – because it's not like Florida recruited 72nd. He's still got top 25 classes in the past. So if if you're going 3-9 and nine with like a 22nd place class, are you going to go 10-2 and two with the third class? No. I, I, mean, I don't think you would. I think you would still be around six or seven wins being incredibly disappointing. Also, an, uh, also, sorry, Steve. One more thing. Uh, yeah, I, I would do the same. But you got to remember that next year's uh, Florida's twenty twenty four schedule is the hardest in the whole entire. Yeah, I mean, country. it's it's not be bad even close. Next year too. It's like not even close. May, maybe part of an Auburn. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Florida's is is going to be going to be rough next year. Auburn's got a, a decently tough schedule, but it's Auburn's next year's middle of the SEC. Florida Florida's is is about as bad as it gets because you also factor in the non-conference stuff too. Um, and, and so, I look, I maybe maybe let, let's 180 this for like 18 seconds. Maybe you say, well, we're screwed next year anyway. Let's just blame duck him. You know, let's just say, hey, we're going to roll him out there, take his one and five halfway through the season, two and four, whatever, and then we'll wax we'll him mid-season. I mean, maybe you, could, maybe you could act like that. But, I mean, again – Florida should never go three and nine with the resources, recruiting ability, location that they have. They should never go three and nine. So that's why I still would think it's fireable offense immediately. Oh, I agree. I agree. Okay, moving on quickly, guys. Um, Reese Davis will be retained by ESPN, um, but I'm not talking about that. This comes from Athlon Sports, and he's revealed his college playoff predictions. Have you seen them? Uh, I have not. Well, uh, I thought well, this is uh, interesting because I I don't know why such love here, but anyway, so his playoff teams are Georgia, no surprise, Michigan, okay, uh, USC, and then finally Florida State. Okay, I Whoa. feel like getting all this love fest for Florida State. Yeah, I mean they're they're if you've got that, then you've got them beating LSU to start the year and and beating Clemson at some point. It, it, I mean, you could go eleven and one and win the conference title, and if you would, say you lost to Clemson the regular season and avenge it in the in the conference title, you'd have a chance. You'd need you'd need other leagues not to go undefeated, but you would definitely still be in the mix. But Again, a lot of people loved that into Florida State last year. And again, it's my job to tell you why people would think that way. I don't necessarily agree with it, though. Uh, I, I think that they will lose to a close one. I mean, they're not going to get thumped, but I do think they'll lose close to Clemson and to LSU. And I think they'll be around nine or 10 wins. I think they'll be a solid team, but I, I would be a little surprised if they ended up being uh, as good as some think they can get to. And of course, Free State was being an Alabama, an Alabama graduate, leaves off Alabama. Look, I mean, I, I, I know that people don't like him around Auburn, but uh, I don't think Reese is incredibly biased. I think that, you know, it's been a reasonable pick like every year since 08 to put Alabama in a playoff. So if you say, well, he always puts in the playoff, well, they almost always go. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that he tries to do what he can to be fair at times I, I know he he has a vote in the ap top 25 i've studied that from time to time most of the time i agree 
along the lines of him there. And so, look, I mean, so, uh, there's questions around Alabama this year. And so it, it doesn't mean Bama's going to go down 8-4, 9-3, something like that. But, I mean, it they will have a couple big moments in their season where they will they will need to win a game like against LSU to be able to get in the playoff. And if they come into a conference title game with one loss, even if they say they beat LSU but lost somewhere else and they can't lose to Georgia – and automatically make the playoff. Maybe things would shake out, but with two losses, we know from last year, two losses is is you're going to need a lot of help. All right. All right. Uh, another real quick report. This comes from Bleacher Report, guys. I didn't know this. Uh, from Mike Chiari. It says, Reggie Bush is getting ready to file a defamation lawsuit against the NCAA for a pay-for-play uh, defamation statement. Uh, were you aware of that? Yes, did see something about that. Okay. And uh, how successful do you think uh, he may or may not be in this lawsuit? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to read the arguments of both sides. And again, with legal stuff, I, I'm just I'm not a uh, I'm not a very opinionated person on, on legalities and stuff. I I can tell you I can take take this for face value. I can tell you that he's still the Heisman Trophy winner of whatever year it was oh three oh four whatever that just because they took it away from him publicly doesn't mean he wasn't the best player in the field that year you know we all know he was so in my mind I'm always going to view him as the Heisman Trophy winner that year and I think he's just trying to fight for that recognition officially too all right and finally on a humorous note I saw this I said what this comes from CBS and it says Titans Will Levis who was quarterback last year for Kentucky right yes uh who famously puts mayonnaise in his coffee, didn't know he did that, Yeah, yeah. lifetime contract with Helmut's mayonnaise. Yeah. Yeah, look, hey, good for him. I mean, not everyone loves mayonnaise the way that he loves mayonnaise. Are you kidding me? And he's in this, I don't know if it's uh, a publicity uh, video that's done by saw it. <laughs> I said, this is hilarious, uh, with man- Helmut's mayonnaise. He's pouring mayonnaise, as I guess as a creamer substitute, into his coffee. And I said, Good yeah. Lord, why would you even think about putting mayonnaise into your coffee? And he's drinking it. So I don't know what the contract includes. Is this a lifetime supply of mayonnaise or more than that? I, I'm sure he's going to have some sort of deal where he gets free mayonnaise. Because uh, I'm sure they're not going to sh- like shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars his entire life. I bet it's just going to come in, in free mayonnaise for most of it. But, hey, look, as far as that's concerned, some people just love to watch the world burn. So, I mean, I, I just – I, I I would never do that. I don't like mayonnaise to begin with, but again, to each their own. Okay. Well, that's all the nonsense I've got for today. And I want to those guys out at you for uh, I say more uh, eagle to you. Uh, I uh, know I've mentioned several times, and I'd like to see if you guys would permit me starting next Monday to um, to invite people. I'll start first. I'll go first to just share with everybody, listeners and callers. Uh, and yourselves too, guys, how you became, what took place for you to become a fan of your respective uh, sports team in college. So uh, if that's okay with you guys, uh, I'd like to be the first person to start, and I'll start Monday, and then I'd like to hear from other people, including yourselves, how you became fans of your uh, respective uh, college football teams. Sure, we can do that. I, I did ask Anthony that uh, last time he called in, by the way, and he did go ahead and uh, go ahead and give an answer. I think that was that, what podcast? That, that was though? last Thursday. Last Thursday. Last Thursday. Oh, he had he had a really good answer. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. It took, okay, I'll have to go back and uh, yep. listen to it then. Yep. All right, but I definitely want to hear from the other callers, frequent callers, um, Matt, James, 
Luke, Keith, uh, Jeff, uh, all those guys. Hi, right, guys. That's it. Thank you again for all the time that you allow me. And uh, until tomorrow, have a safe afternoon and evening. And uh, keep going to class, TP. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Warrior, guys. Warrior, Steve. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired word AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we still have a lot to get to, including player of the week and a sports call more likely to happen. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan... Roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, C.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Again, coming up a little bit later, 7.30 airtime right here, Tiger 95.9. Borgard High School Football in the HSA Kickoff Classic. A little bit later on this show today, the 5 o'clock hour, a preview of the Big Ten Conference this year. But as we continue on with the show today, it is now time to reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Seattle Mariners center fielder Julio Rodriguez is Sports Call's Player of the Week. The 22-year-old phenom had a record-setting week for Seattle as over a four-game stretch last week, he had 17 hits and four straight four-hit games. Those marks are the most for a player over a four-game stretch since 1900. Overall, he registered a 568 batting average with two homers and 13 RBIs. Behind a strong push from young players like Rodriguez, the Mariners are 70-55 and 55 on the year, only two games back for the lead in the AL West. Julio Rodriguez is Sports Call's Player of the Week. So big week from Julio, record-setting week. I mean, stuff not done in 100-plus years on the baseball diamond. That's that's the one – look, America's pastime, blah, blah, blah. But that's the thing about Major League Baseball being so old is that you can just go back to these absurd time periods and absurd amount of years since things have been done. You can't really do that in some of these other sports that have been around only 50 or 60 years. Like 1970 is not absurd to me. You know, 1960s, 70s, etc. But 1923 or 1900? Oh yeah, that's. I mean, there there have been wars since then. I mean, that that, that was a long time ago. Uh, so Julio Rodriguez at the Mariners, red hot, fun player, and awesome for again middle market, bordering on small. Not saying city city of Seattle small. We're just talking market size for sports, but a a middle team there. 
getting such a young great superstar player yeah and they also had that long playoff drought like the longest in all of the professional sports in north america so for them to get a young superstar and julio rodriguez into their franchise where they've definitely deserved it i mean they have been bad i mean they they i mean they had ichiro and they had felix hernandez and they were still bad like, yeah, they had what was it, seventeen straight years out of playoff appearance or something? Long? I think it was more, honestly. maybe nineteen, like oh two to twenty two, twenty something, something like that. I mean, it was it was high teens getting to twenty. Yeah, uh, but for them to be able to get a young star and they're becoming more attractive to free agents, which is big, you know, big, big deal because you know you want to be able to play with Julio because he's just such a a great player so it i mean man he is breaking records you know like like you said i mean that it's been 100 years you know so uh, that is crazy couldn't have happened to a better franchise in my opinion because like i said they've definitely deserved it they have been uh on the wrong end of uh, wins and losses and so it's really good to see that i i was a big fan or i i grew up watching ken griffey jr highlights i didn't get to see it you know that was some great great stuff so i'm happy to see that they have julio rodriguez hopefully he can stay healthy hopefully he can keep up the production the mariners will continue on to uh, more playoff appearances yeah and again they are right in the thick of things in the ALS with the rangers struggling the astros never really clicking on all centers cylinders are playing better but have not had the dominance they've had of recent years so a lot of interesting teams in that american league playoff picture picture not including the yankees not including to for the most part the red sox a lot of these smaller teams in that american league are the the ones in the thick of things yeah that mariners drought by the way uh was 21 years 21 years okay 21 years oh man so good for them and hopefully they can make it two in a row they had by the way that their introduction into the playoffs last year was disappointing because they blew a couple leads against the astros i mean they they had an opportunity there to make that a series and astros always battled back and, and beat them in that one all right so we continue on with the show now and as promised let's get to we haven't played many games or segments in a while but we have one for you for that is auburn football related so here we go do you have all these wild questions swirling around in your head well we've got the answers to them Sports calls more likely to happen. All right, sports calls more likely to happen. Uh, game here that we want to take scenarios and we want to take maybe statistical milestones. We want to make them into kind of the extremes a little bit. It's not as fun to say as Auburn more likely to win seven games or six games or eight or seven or this, that, and the other. So we want to do uh, some things that would be a little bit outside the box a little bit, things that can be done but are not always the easiest to do. So I've got a few stats here uh, to question TP with, and of course I'll give my thoughts too, and then we'll have a win-loss debate there at the end. So let's start off with sports calls more likely to happen that Peyton Thorne throws for 3,000 yards this year or Robbie Ashford throws for 750 yards. Ooh, that that's a tough one, but I, I think I would have to go with Peyton Thorne because I think you know, unless he's just horrendous on the football field, I think they're going to keep him out there, especially for those passing opportunities, because he, he he's definitely a better passer than Robbie. I think Robbie's going to be. I mean, I'm sure Robbie will throw the football. Don't get it wrong. I'm not saying he's just going to be a wildcat guy. I'm just saying that he's going to be more in that run and I, over 750 yards. I mean, that would be that'd be him starting consistent games. And unless Peyton Thorne goes down with an injury, which no one hopes for, but I think. 
I think overall, yeah, I think Peyton Thorne would be more likely to go over 3,000 yards than Robbie have 750. So the reason I thought about these numbers were with 500 – I've thought about going to Ashford 500 yards, but that can be done, I feel like, just in a backup role. You throw for 100 against a bad you know, New Mexico State team, throw for 80 against UMass, 80 against Sanford – boom, we're almost at 300. Then you just have gadget plays that get you to 500 throughout the year, maybe a couple long play-action plays and Wildcat, whatever. 750 kind of insinuates he has to start a game or two uh, or, or play significantly. But here's the problem. The the 3,000 number was selected because that's a pretty big number, a number that Auburn does not always see. I was going back to it. So Jarrett Stidham was the last one to accomplish this in 2017. He didn't exactly fly past it, though. In a 14-game campaign, he was at 3,158 yards. Again, that was with the SEC title game. That was with the UCF game. In 2018, in his 13 games there, he was at 2,794. You then go into the Bo Nix tenure there of 2019, in 2020 and obviously this is mostly under Gus Malzahn and we get that so uh, you're talking about different coaches there you did have a year of Brian Harson. again though you saw that Bo Nix fell short of 3,000 yards so again the freshman year of 2020 when he had some big games had a big iron bowl and that sort of thing it still landed him at 2,500 yards passing, 2,542. Not particularly close. 2020, of course, is rougher because he didn't play as many games. He was at 2,415. Uh, so he had a higher average there, but still short of 3,000 yards. The point being, you have to average 250 yards a game passing to get to 3,000 in a 12-game docket. Obviously, in 13, it changes the math a little bit. I will lean towards 3,000 because I do think this offense will open it up a little bit and that there is going to be new passing concepts. I think it's going to be a bigger part of the, the, the offensive strategy than it was for most of the Malzahn tenure and for whatever the last two years were. But I, I think that ultimately – you know, you you if you even see struggles, see that's the problem. If they even try to start Ashford for a game because there's a an ailment or uh, he didn't play convincingly well against Cal or something, that's how those numbers can be very delicate there. But I'm going to swing on the side of of uh, three thousand yards for Peyton Thorne. All right, next up, another sports call more likely to happen: two one thousand yard rushers for the Tigers. Or one fifteen hundred yard rusher for the Tigers. Hmm. You know that that's a really hard question because, like you were just saying, I think Q Freeze is going to throw the ball a lot more. So, I mean, the oh, that is so hard because, like, who who else would be the other thousand yard rusher besides Jarquez? And um, that that who that that's a tough question right there, but <laughs> I. I would have to go. Well, they have Batty, but I don't think Batty. And Demari Austin. And Demari, but I think he's going. I think Hunter is going to be the bell cow this year, and I, I would lean towards the fifteen hundred, just because, you know, I think he's going to be the primary back. I'm sure the other guys will get reps. Don't get that wrong, because that's just how running back works. But I think, I think Jarquez is just no offense, but just a step above everyone else in that room. So. I just think I don't think either one of these will happen for the record because it's just very hard to get two thousand yard rushers in in twelve to thirteen games. I mean, you're talking about guys needing to average about eighty yards a game, that sort of thing. I think that 
Jarquez Hunter will probably not end up at fifteen hundred, but I I will take that as the more likely to happen just because it's hard to come up with enough carries to get Austin or Beth. And especially because it's not necessarily a duo, right? I think there's three guys that get carries. So even if you do run 35 to 40 times a game, which would be a lot, I still think you split it three ways where he's like 20 for Hunter and 10 for Austin and five for Batty. And so all of a sudden it's just really hard to get 10 carries 80 yards every game. It just is. So I'll go with Hunter with the 1,500 yards, although I still think the point is, this is the point of the question, is that I think this is a really good running back room. We've talked about it all summer long. And I do think that if you listen to the coaching staff, it's not going to be a one uh, one workhorse type of backfield. I think they want to get at least three people involved and with, with touches. So, I, again, I think that will limit Hunter's ability to get to 1,500 yards. That's why it's the question. But I, I do think that's a slightly higher chance uh, just because maybe Alston's not that effective or uh, you know maybe Hunter's just absolutely awesome. There's some people that, that say he's better than Tank Biz, Bigsby that believe that. So if you believe that, then he could go absolutely wild this year. And if you got a good balanced attack, then uh, defenses will be honest. They'll give Hunter a great opportunity. So uh, I'll go 1,500 yard as well. All right, this one is is tricky. This one's just flat out not very likely, folks, this next one. That's why I did it. A 10-sack season for an Auburn Tiger or a 1,000-yard receiving season, the elusive 1,000-yard receiving season. Now, I did not dig through the history books of 10-sack guys for Auburn. What I did do is look at how many 10-sack guys we had in major college football last year. Would you like to guess, TP, how many Power 5 players had 10 sacks last year? I'm going to go with two. Okay. You were along the right lines. It's five. Okay. Six if you count a Cincinnati player, which I don't because they were not participating in the Big 12 last year. They are, of course, this year. So five. Power five players had 10 sacks. So more likely that Auburn has a 10-sack player this year or a 1,000-yard receiver. So I know that uh, we don't have that big like pass rushing threat. We don't have Derek Hall anymore who is you know, just an animal at pass rushing. So I think that might be um, – I don't think the 10 sites – what was that? 10 sites, <laughs> yeah. Had my Brian Kelly show out. <laughs> uh, but but uh, 10 sacks, I don't think that's as likely as – I think they did a really good job in revamping the receiving room. And I do think they're going to throw the ball more. And I know it's the elusive 1,000-yard receiver. We always talk about it. We've talked about it a lot on this show. We haven't had a 1,000-yard receiver since sliced bread, it feels like. But, uh, I mean, I would be interested to see who that 1,000-yard receiver would be. But I think that is more likely just because of how revamped the room is, how – how I think they're going to be more of a passing threat than they have been, or they'll have more passing concepts than a previous regime. So I will go with the elusive thousand-yard receiver. I'm not saying it's going to be you know through the roof, lead the country, but I'll I'll go with like a thousand and five yards. Yeah, I look, I I agree with you because again, these are two not impossible but more improbable type of statistics. Again. Five guys with 10 sacks last year. There was only one in the Southeastern Conference. I bet you could guess it was Will Anderson, who got 10 on the number. It wasn't like it was a decisive 15 sacks. Because, again, you're playing 12, 13 games. It's basically a sack a game if you're going to get double figures. Um, So, look, I think McLeod can be productive. I think that Steven Sings has 
turned some eyes, turned some heads, excuse me, in the in the practices. But I still think we're talking five to six type of sack guys there. I don't think we're talking about a big-time huge impact. I don't even know the Lawson numbers off the top of my head, but someone like Carl Lawson or something uh, making big, big waves on the end. I, I think that the 1,000-yard receiver would be slightly more doable. Um, I think that the, the problem there is you've got maybe too many guys that you're intrigued by which is not a bad problem to have because you need to be intrigued by some guys after what we've seen the last couple of years. But I think that it is possible that there's just too many guys worth playing uh, if someone does not step out. Now, again, Shane Hooks, to me, seems like the number one candidate to, to step out. I said the other day, and I'll repeat it, that I'll be surprised and a little disappointed if he's not one of the two leading receivers on the team this year. I just feel like he's got all the makeup to do that, the size, the big playability, the catch radius, all that good stuff. So I, I think he will be a big-time player. Do I think he gets 1,000? No, but if this is the pick between a 1,000-yard receiver or a 10-sack season for a DN, I can see a better pathway to a 1,000-yard receiver for someone like Shane Hooks. Okay, the last thing for you, when we're out of time, and we'll end the hour. We'll get to Big Ten preview in hour number three. The last sports call more likely to happen on the Auburn football season. Here's your extremes, folks. The ceiling and the floors, 10 wins or 5 wins for Auburn this year? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> ah, okay. I know I have done good if you are disappointed <laughs> or flustered. I, I am very flustered. Um, okay. So I would have – I've heard the schedule. It's ingrained in my brain. I think this could be the Auburn homer in me, but <laughs> I try to stay unbiased, people, because I'm an Ohio State fan. But uh, I will say that it is more likely that Auburn has ten wins than they have five because I just think that the, the out-of-conference, I mean, you, you're basically guaranteed four. I mean, almost guaranteed four because, you. I mean, Cal may be the only one, but you're guaranteed at least three. And you have Vanderbilt on the schedule, so I think they could definitely go over that. So, I was going to let you pitch me there. I don't know if you did enough on, on trying to convince me of ten. I was leaning towards five mm. because I think that they're about a seven-win team. Yeah, and logic says that five's a little closer to seven than ten is. Well, but the thing is, is that look. I agree with you that they should be going 4-0 in the non-conference, and there's no room on three of them. I mean, there's just absolutely no way that they lose that they lose more than one, and that would be Cal. Again, I think that probability is less than 10%, to be honest with you, that they lose the Cal. So it's pretty close to a sure thing to be 4-0. Again, I could be eating crow. Cal beats Auburn. We're all in trouble. We're all panicking, and I look dumb, and we all look dumb, and there's trouble. But I think they'll beat Cal, so that's four. I think they'll beat Vandy. That's five. So from that point on, you're basically saying, nah, you don't win anything else, including the one team that is projected below you, even by the national media and the SEC, which is Mississippi State, which is a home game. Well, obviously, Brian Harson blew one against Mississippi State. It was against Mike Leach, who, again, was a quality head coach. We have no idea what Zach Arnett is, but had a huge lead in that game. Auburn very easily could have won a four-score game there if they if they'd kept going they end up blowing 28-3 um i still think hey here's the, uh i don't know i can't commit to it i'm having trouble committing to it because with five 
you don't even make a bowl game with 10. You end up being an awesome team at the end of the day. And I think that ultimately, if you're 10 and 2, I mean, heck, that would end up being top 10 or 15 country. That would just blow my mind. I'd be so excited, but that would blow my mind in year one. I'm going to lean five just because I think that if I think if you're favoring teams, again, you're favoring Auburn only six or seven times this year. So, again, wisdom says you're having to pull more upsets against others than others are having to pull upsets against you. You know, I don't think in under any, I don't think they're going five and seven, but I also think 10 wins is like, wow, they went to Baton Rouge and won? That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. Or they they beat they did beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl. That's a, a huge deal in year one. So, I, again, that, that's why I wanted to be tough that I haven't even decided uh, at the time. We are out of time for hour number two. When we come up in hour number three, Sports Call 5 at 5 again, presented by Southeastern Land Group. And then we'll also have a preview of the Big Ten Conference. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. If you've missed any of the show so far, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. As we were going to break there, saw the Borgard guys come in here, scoop up Brooks Childress. They are on their way to the Crampton Bowl, Montgomery, Alabama. We wish the Hornets well tonight as they take on Selma. Again, you can listen to the action right here all season long, but including tonight on Tiger 95.9. That will be about a 7.30 airtime with the one-hour late kick. 8 o'clock is when we will kick off. From the Crampton Bowl, excited for another season of Borgard Hornets athletics and Borgard Hornets football right here on Tiger 95.9. As we continue on here, as we start up our number three, let's get to the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. For the Sports Call 5 at 5, as we've done all week long, we begin our previews of the next conference up, and today that is the Big Ten Conference. So let's start off with number one. 
Is five storylines around the Big Ten? Is it Kyle McCord or Devin Brown with Ohio State? Ohio State with a long line of successful quarterbacks, quarterbacks that are capable of winning Heisman trophies, leading Ohio State into the playoff and beyond. Who will Ohio State select, and uh, how far can that player take them this year? That will be intriguing, as always, with the Buckeyes. Number two. Uh, Speaking of the Buckeyes, Michigan or Ohio State this year? The last two years, Michigan has beaten Ohio State, righting some previous wrongs of Jim Harbaugh and being able to get the temperature way down in Ann Arbor after Jim Harbaugh didn't have much more time left there. He has two big seasons in a row, two wins over Ohio State in a row. What will happen here in another year of Ryan Day versus Jim Harbaugh? Number three. Is there a middle to the Big Ten this year? Is the middle strong? Teams like Michigan State, a little bit curious. Iowa, eh. Wisconsin doesn't seem to have maybe the teeth right now. I think it'll get back, but... Wisconsin not one of the better teams right now. Purdue's taking a step back. You know, maybe fear the turtle this year with Talia Tagovailoa. I don't know. The middle seems a little questionable uh, in the Big Ten, which leads us to number four. Number four. Is there room to get weird? Is there room for a random eight-win Rutgers team or someone that you wouldn't think of to be able to finish? Maybe, I know they're still doing divisions, but if it, kind of timed out to fourth or fifth in the Big Ten. We expect Penn State to be number three and be up there, but could we have someone wonky up there? Can Minnesota have a big year? Minnesota. I know Brooks Childress loves uh, – not loves Minnesota. That's a little strong. He enjoys Minnesota football a little bit, likes P.J. Fleck. So, I don't know. Is there room to get weird there with a team that you typically think would be on the bottom but might be able to have a 7-8 win team this year? And last up – Number five. This is just to dig at one certain program. Does Iowa know that they are allowed and that they do need to score points on the offensive side of the football? Iowa's offense was one of the worst things I have seen in the Power Five last year, and they still did not move their offensive coordinator. That seemed a little suspicious, admittedly. So, uh, again, Iowa has been one of the more consistent programs in the Big Ten. They and Wisconsin have had plenty of good years, plenty of successful teams that ended up being able to even beat some of the big teams. But Iowa scoring a whopping 17.7 points a game last year Seemed like a good time to move on from Brian Ferentz. But, of course, his last name is Ferentz, and Kirk's last name is Ferentz, and he's the head coach, so he did not fire his son there. So, anyway, anyway, let's look at the Big Ten, TP. I know you like the Buckeyes. Ohio State, Michigan, that's always where it starts, the Big Ten. What do you think this year? Yeah, that's a that's a you brought it up in the first one of the five at five is who's going to be the starter, and that's every Buckeyes fans' um, question right now because it was seemed to be throughout spring and throughout the summer it's going to be Kyle McCord who had been, you know, he'd been in the system longer, but this Devin Brown guy who, funny enough, wears the number thirty three. Uh, Devin, oh, Bra- does he? Yes, he wears oh, number. No. Yeah, he wears number thirty three. Uh, he's just very talented. Uh, it's not like either of them are you know bad they're both really good so it's it's a tough it's a tough ask but whoever is the starter it'll probably be they'll probably be very good but Michigan brings back a lot of talent as much as it pains me to say they are going to be very good this year their schedule is very lined up for them their toughest games are at Penn State which I could see them dropping now because Penn State's going to be really good this year and it's hosting Ohio State so I it'll definitely come down to those two in my opinion, but I think Penn State's going to be 
about where they were last year. I think they'll be 10-2 and two or 11-1, and one, but I don't know why. It just feels like James Franklin always drops a random game that he's not supposed to, so I just – a lot of people are uh, picking Penn State to be that dark horse and all, and them rightfully so. They, they bring back a ton of talent, but – it's just that they always lose some random game and everyone makes fun of them. And I don't know. It's just weird. I, I know they did pretty well last year, but it's just I have my questions. But overall, yes, it, I think it will come down to those two programs in the East. What has – again, I'm not trying to pick it. Okay, just don't take it the wrong way. I'm just simply asking from your point of view, uh, what has Michigan found against Ohio State the last few years? Because they put up 40-plus points two years in a row. And Michigan, statistically, yes, they did have a really good offensive season last year. They averaged around 40. But in that big rivalry game, knowing that Ohio State still has a very competent defense year in, year out, what has Michigan found against Ohio State that's led them to so much offensive success? So that's a really good question because a lot of people forget that came down to like five plays. Like there were five busted plays. So they had so originally two years ago, whenever Ohio State's defense was really bad, they they let go of that all that defensive coordinator and they hired the Oklahoma State defense coordinator who was really good there. And that's that's saying something because Oklahoma State's never not known for having good defenses. So last year, if you go back and watch that film, they actually until about the fourth quarter, whenever it just kind of got out of hand, they were doing Doing what they were told to do, which was just to stop the run. So they've I they've built this offensive identity basically to defeat Ohio State, which is limit possessions, force turnovers, you know, hard mouth. It's like 1985 football. It's just like halfback dive, halfback zone, and it works against Ohio State. It, it's it's built to beat programs like Ohio State and USC, you know, like teams that throw the ball a lot. But um, last year, if you go back and look, though, they were so. Uh, focused on stopping the run that the cornerbacks looked terrible because they were just getting beat I mean it it was bad and whenever the cornerbacks started getting beat and then the defensive plan kind of got thrown into a blender so it was just like the overall it's the smash mouth football but now their ability to throw it's just really they're a really tough team to play because no one runs the ball quite like them but their style is meant to beat those type of air raids. But it's as we saw two years ago, it struggles against uh, SEC programs. So that it's just it's a very interesting style of offense. Yeah, Michigan again. Like I said, I think many would be surprised if you, if you'd asked me before doing the research what Michigan averaged last year. I'd be like, yeah, like low mid thirties. Like you know, just beat up a few teams, score in the twenties most of the time against good teams. Now they're forty points a game and. J.J. McCarthy, obviously really good. It was 22 TDs to five picks last year. I gave you that 3,000-yard passing number because, again, that's not a guarantee just because you're a good quarterback. I think we all we all think J.J. McCarthy is a really solid quarterback. He was at 2,700 yards last year because Michigan doesn't throw it all the time. They, they run it just as much. Uh, but that is the story. Now, look, it is in Ann Arbor this year, so like instinct says, okay, that's the – that's a good sign for Michigan. They, they were able to get over that hump against Ohio State originally in Ann Arbor, and then last year was was the real shocker to be able to win convincingly in Columbus. Ryan Day, though, look, six years. This is his sixth year already post-Urban Meyer, and he is 45-6 and six in his first uh, five years. Obviously a little skewed because of the 7-1 in 2020. I will say this year in, year out till we get – far removed i hate how different that season was because it makes it harder to digest records you hear 
45 wins in five seasons. Like, oh, they're only averaging nine wins a game. Okay, yes, but not really because every other year they won more than that and uh, have been better than that. So anyway, um, with Ryan Day trying to get to – I guess trying to get back that momentum from Michigan and also trying to figure out, I guess, his first title because Urban got one. They've been in the title with Ryan Day. They lost convincingly to Alabama a few years back. What does it take? What's that last thing that Ohio State needs to bridge the gap from a team that's top five in the country year in, year out, to they can go on a neutral field and beat Alabama or Georgia? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because like, we saw that against Georgia last year where they, they should have won that game. I was at that game. They should have won that. And it just seems like it just seems like at random times, and this it's not as bad as whenever it was late in Urban's tenure, because I remember that very vividly. Whenever Urban, I'll, I'll give you all a flashback if you all don't remember, they would just go into four and three teams, five and you know, five and four teams, and they just get obliterated yeah, out of Purdue nowhere. One year, yes, housed them. Yeah, uh, Iowa put up fifty-five <laughs> points. Could you imagine that? I don't. Even, they probably scored fifty-five points in like four games last year, like in combined four games, but. It's, so that was the problem with Urban, but now it just seems like it's just the random moments where everything that could go wrong can go wrong because he does really well, and his losses are not to bad teams, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. It just seems like he can't beat that next level. I mean, he should have beaten Kirby Smart last year, but you know that's a next-level guy. Uh, you know, Nick Saban beat him. Jim Harbaugh's beaten him. Dabo Sweeney's beaten him, and Mario Cristobal. And a lot of people think Mario Cristobal is a very good coach, and he's a he he did very well at Oregon. So I think it's just that. I, I, my opinion is, I guess it's just a maybe a better coach. You know, I, I think Ryan Day is a great coach, but maybe it's just that he may be getting out coached, or it just seems like an avalanche occurs whenever like everything goes wrong in these losses outside of under his tenure where he lost to Clemson. That was a very close game. Lost to Georgia, but I mean the Oregon loss was embarrassing. That was terrible. The Michigan, both Michigan losses were horrible. You know, it's Nick Saban, and that was that COVID year. That was so bizarre. Yeah. So, like, it's just, I mean, you know, yeah. he he's done very well, but it's just that last step. So, yeah, just beating the best. Because again, it's not like there's something big wrong here. I mean, again, they're no. they're beating all the teams you that you should, as you just said, and I mean, they're producing double digit win teams, they're producing top five teams, playoff appearances, and all that. Is just trying to get over, you know, someone outside of the SEC that w- did did win a title here in the last ten years, uh, and obviously Clemson's got a couple of them there. But but other than that, you know, you're just rotating Bama, Georgia, uh, the the LSU in there, and so Ohio State's one of them that have proved they can do it. So they're trying to figure out how they can do it again. The one thing about the non conference schedule too between these two is it's it's vastly different and it's just because of one game. Ohio State goes to Notre Dame, who is a real team, a top fifteen preseason team. Michigan's biggest non conference poo poo platter is East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green. You tell me which one you like most there. I guess the Pirates. East Carolina's probably the toughest sure. of the three. <laughs> the uh, ghost of uh, David Garrard there or something. Uh, or Chris Johnson. So I, I think that Michigan's path to a better record is just easier because they don't have I mean look Notre, Notre Dame you slot them in the Big Ten 
they're neck and neck with Penn State to be the third best team in Big Ten period right there. And then, look, there's still a world where Notre Dame can be up in the top ten, top five this year if Hartman's awesome, if their defense is, is good under Freeman. So that's a that's a tough game. When you look at Michigan, look, there, to me, is a three-game season because I just don't trust Michigan State to be very good. We'll get into some of these other teams. But from the Michigan slant, I, I don't see anything early to trip them. So it's a three-game season at Penn State, who will be top 25 team. Where can Franklin win the big game? That's another conversation to have. At Maryland, look, Maryland's not great, but I respect Talia Tagovailoa. I respect that they, Mike Loxley has had a slow but pretty successful build there. They're going to win, I think, seven to eight games. They're going to be a competent team. My point with Maryland is you just beat Penn State, you got Ohio State the next week. Do you care enough? Do you care at the level you should? And then you got Ohio State. So that's the three games. Michigan start 9-0. They are. They'll be 9-0. What will they be after the next three? That's their question. For Ohio State, they've got Penn State too. It is at home, but obviously they trade that for being at Michigan, and they do have the big Notre Dame game. So their three game look, they do have at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I shouldn't just like brush under the rug because Wisconsin's not nothing, especially when you go on the road. So Ohio State clearly has the, the tougher end of things. It's just Michigan's the one part of it. It's very condensed into, into three games there. TP, when you're looking at some of these other teams, and maybe we spend a moment here on Penn State too, because, gosh, this is James Franklin. I, I didn't even process this till now. Tenth year already at Penn State. Does it feel like that to everybody? This is year 10? Was, was Vandy's nine-win season that long ago? Yes. I guess so. I guess when you put it that way, yes. Uh, but 10 years now for James Franklin. And look, quality stuff. It was rocky at times. There's a random bad year or two in there. They've had no problem getting to the 9 to 10 win mark, though, but they've just not gotten to the national. Like, they've been, and I, I don't want to make this sound like a slight to the Big Ten because it is the second best league and it produces playoff teams every single year. So don't take this the way I might say this about the Pac 12 or something. They've been able to be Big Ten good, where they have been able to win five, six games a year in the league and, and, and go to the, to the top title game once or twice but they've not been able to be nationally good. They've not been able to be in contention for a playoff spot. They've been in contention in the Big Ten or at least to win a division or something, but they've not been in contention at the national stage. At what point – and look, Penn State, I really don't think they have to ever – unless he gets back down and go in 7-5 and five or something. I don't think they really have to do something urgent with it. But it's got to be a little frustrating because Joe Pod did get them over that hump. He got them to be one of the most five to seven nationally relevant programs for, I don't know, 30 years, however long. Um, so on one hand, it's like, man, like it's still out there for us. It, it's not like – it's there's only two teams above us consistently. And it's – Look, they're really damn good, but it's just two. Can you get can you get knock one of them off? Go eleven and one. You know, like that. That's that's the question there, and I guess it's a similar question just from a from the slightly smaller scale standpoint. What does it take for Penn State to finally get in a playoff? Get 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 one of these big years where they split with Ohio State, Michigan. Everybody's seven and one or eight and one in the league. They get a tiebreaker. They're in the Big Ten title game. They have the chance to go to the playoff. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's um, 
I wasn't that surprised to see that Penn State kind of got back to their winning ways because there was a period during like COVID where James Franklin got really high on the recruiting trail and he was able to get a lot of their people. But I think it also comes back to bite him because Pennsylvania is a really rich recruiting area, but he can never get the big people out of that area because Ohio State takes them, Michigan takes them, and even the Southern teams, Alabama, Georgia, they all take them because at the end of the day, as you said, Penn State hasn't been there in like 30 years. You know who came from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right in Penn State's backyard? Marvin Harrison Jr. He went to Ohio State. I'm just saying that, you know, they're going to – I'm looking at their schedule right now. They're going to they're gonna thrash West Virginia in that first game. They're going to get a lot of buzz out of that. But it's just that, you know, they just – like I said, they just randomly come up short in games. It's it's James Franklin's a heck of a coach. Like, they always are in games. They rarely get just obliterated outside like last year where they got, they got beat bad by Michigan. But that was at Michigan. That was a – and I remember they led in the third quarter – like they were still, but they, you know, the wheels kind of fell off, but they just, they are kind of in that position where they just can't win the big one. Like, except for outside of whenever, like, like I said, they'll sometimes randomly trip up, but I mean, they're a really good program, but they're just not good enough. I think that just comes down to recruiting, but this is, this was his best recruiting class and that's why they're getting so much hype. This is now their, their juniors and their seniors. So it makes a lot of sense on why they have a lot of buzz behind them. But at the end of the day, though, you got to beat Ohio State and you got to beat and you have to beat Michigan. And he's only beaten Ohio State one time. And I know he's done he's done pretty good against Michigan. But in the past few years, you know, Michigan's got it back. So and but they do get to host Michigan. So that definitely does help. But yeah, I think it's just a matter of I think it's a combination of recruiting. And I think it just, you know, maybe it just seems like sometimes they just don't have the talent at the end of the day, which isn't anything wrong, but I think it just comes down to a talent standpoint. So I was looking back up the full resume of Paterno because I just wanted to see, like, okay, obviously I know a couple titles, nationally relevant, but what did, what did that actually mean? So Joe Paterno's Penn State teams, and he was there, obviously 2011 is when it end, ended. He started in 66. Well, that's 45 years. 27 of the 45 years the team finished in the top 10 and either the AP or the coaches poll. That's 27 of 45. And of those 27, 13 of them, they finished in the top five in one of those polls. So basically every four years, if you were a class at Penn State, and look, some of this they ran together in the 70s and 80s, multiple years in a row. But basically on average, what that says is every four years, you're going to have a top five team at Penn State under Joe Paterno, but Paterno. And two of those four, if not three of those four, you're going to end up in top ten. With Franklin in nine seasons, they've had no top fives and they've had four top tens. Okay, so they've had, I mean, it's less rate than Paterno, but Paterno's one of the all time greats uh, on the football field. So, you know, okay, you don't have to be an all time great, but you only had Bill O'Brien in between them. So it's not like you had this long period of time between Paterno and, and now Franklin. I mean, it was a couple years. And so you've gone four of nine on top tens, which is a lower rate, but that's fine, but no top fives. And that's the point. Paterno every four years was spitting out top five, but now they've not done that once under Franklin. And so that for me is why in my head, maybe everyone else out there is fine with what's with Penn State, but in my head, that's why I'm like, well, there's still something to be desired 
uh, for Penn State because they have not had the team yet. They've not had that one team that's awesome. And again, I don't expect Penn State to be awesome every single year. But if you finish in the top five 13 times out of 45 under Joe Paterno, I think you can cook it up once every 10 under somebody else, cook up a great team. So um, that's why I'm still looking for that out of Penn State. So let's focus on some of these other middle teams, and then we'll get to a break here in a little bit go through the rest of the league. Michigan State's a conundrum with Mel Tucker. I just don't know. It, it did not help that Peyton Thorne transferred late. Obviously helped Auburn. Great for us. But um, they've got quarterback questions there. Weren't particularly good anyway, even with decent quarterback play last year. You also look in that division, and look, at, at this point this division, I mean, it's, it's, it's the tougher division. So these teams just – they've got a couple automatic losses. You know, Rutgers with Shiano – it's not. It's been underwhelming since he came back. Obviously, he was pretty good there the first time, but it's been underwhelming. Um, Indiana thought they had something with Penix, lost him to Washington. Haven't been the same since. Makes sense. Uh, the other division, Luke Fickle, year two uh, or year one. I'm sorry, um, coming from Cincinnati. You know, seven to six last year. What can you reasonably become in one year? I don't know. I don't know if you can really get to um, a 10-win type of Wisconsin thing that we were used to seeing for a long period of time. Iowa, I just, again, score a point. I mean, seriously, just just please, offensive football. Do you want their yardage a game? I'm going to give you their yardage game too. I gave you 17.7 in the 5 of 5 for points a game. They averaged 252 yards offense. Folks, you need to be doing that in a half to be considered a really good half. <laughs> You know what's crazy though? Until that last game of the season, they were they until they lost to Nebraska, they if they had beaten Nebraska, they would have been in the championship game. I know. <laughs> and I'm just they didn't deserve to be there. Not so at all. I'm just just saying. So I was unimpressive to me. Brett Bilma in Illinois, fine. Seven wins, eight wins, sure. PJ Fleck had a pretty good year last year, won nine games where they lost a lot of key players, including Tanner Morgan. It felt like he was there eighteen years at quarterback. Um, I don't know, TP. I mean, that those are all the mid- – I, I named a couple bottom teams like Rutgers. But, and then I'll give you Maryland, too. Mar- Maryland could be could be interesting with Talia this year. Uh, one more year him. The problem is they actually lost a good number of starters. They have Talia and some things, but they, they lost more starters than they retain. What do you think of the middle? It just doesn't sound like anyone's jumping out at me. Yeah, that's definitely a good way of putting it. I guess the only team that would – I think it's just because Luke Fickle is just such a good head coach and he got mm-hmm. a really good transfer class as Wisconsin. And it, they're in that horrendous Big Ten West. It is laughably terrible how awful it is all the time. I am, I'm fairly confident in saying this. It may have happened once, maybe like 2011, but I'm pretty sure the Big Ten West has never won a Big Ten title game for reference. That's how just bad it is over there. Maybe once, but it was in like 2011, but I don't even think they won it. So, it's just I think Wisconsin's going to win that West, honestly. It's either going to be them or Illinois. I'm pretty high on Illinois. I think they're, they run a very similar offense to Michigan, which works in the Big Ten, but I mean, they were really close to beating Michigan last year because they run that similar style and that really tough defense. The problem is they lost a lot. They actually had some guys drafted. When was the last time we said Illinois had football players drafted? It's been a while. But they have really I, – I commend Brett. He's done a really good job. I think it will come down to them in Wisconsin and on October 21st. Uh, in, it's at 
Wisconsin, though, so you'd have to lean that way. But, yeah, like you said, the middle is really bad. But it, it can benefit some people like Matt Rule. It can sure. benefit someone like Kick that. Start his tenure. Yeah, if he goes like seven and five or eight and four, and you know they're just feasting on those bad Big Ten West teams, that's good. Nebraska will take that. I don't think Scott Frost ever went to a bowl game in his tenure. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly confident he never made a bowl game at Nebraska. So if you know, it can benefit some of those guys and some of those new guys at like Purdue. They have a new head coach, so that can help out. But they lost Aiden O'Connell, who's done really well in preseason football. But it's just gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. But overall, I'd say the middle is like you said, it's just it's very flawed. Like Iowa, Cade McNamara is out right now. He's injured, so you know who that brings in. That brings in last year's starter, who was terrible. So it's just the middle is just a big old question mark. So it's just that I think that I think that affects some of those Big Ten teams at the top. I think that's why they're not as battle tested whenever they have to play those SEC teams and even the Big Twelve. TCU knocked off Michigan, so I think that definitely plays a factor, but. Yeah, I I think overall, though, I think Wisconsin's the best out of those, or Illinois. Yeah, Big Ten just hurting from, again, a couple historical programs like mainly Nebraska just just not being relevant the last several years. I mean, they were relevant just from the standpoint we were like, is this the year that they actually win their close games? Oh, no, never mind. Is this the year that they return? No, never mind. Uh, And and so that is hurt. I, I would like... I don't have much rooting interest in the Big Ten. I personally would like to see Maryland do well. Go Turtles! Yes. Um, <laughs> I, they've got one of the more recognizable players outside of the Ohio State-Michigans there with, with Talia. The, the problem is is that they did not function well uh, passing and finishing drives. Even though Talia statistically was good with 3,000 passing yards, again, that's the magical number today, 3,000 passing <laughs> yards, only 18 TDs to eight picks. The team as a whole only averaged 28 points a game. That's kind of underwhelming. And I I still that doesn't make me devalue Talia anymore because I think there's a lot of potential there. But if you're only at 18 TDs and 20, what did I say, 28 points a game, yeah, 28 points a game, you know, that's, that's actually very average offensive football. And so I think that leaves room for Maryland because they do return their top receiver, top running back. So there's skill positions there, but are they going to be any good up front with, with four different offensive linemen? You know, and, and uh, what you got over there? So yeah. Maryland went 8-5 and five last year. That was the first time they had won more than seven games since 2010. Well, yeah, that's, basically, a, that's, that's a fun stat. Went, they went to the Big Ten around? Around 2014. Okay, yeah. So I mean, first time since the Big Ten got in the Big Ten. Yeah, they went eight and five. So, um, so again, I, I appreciate Loxley's build there because they were really bad when he got there. Um, seven wins in twenty one, eight and twenty two. So as the next logical step, can they could they win nine this year? The problem is they got both Ohio State, Michigan because it's same division. Um, they've got Penn State, same division. You know, I mean that that's the problem. Like that's three game, teams that are clearly more talented than them right off the get go. Now they get Penn State at home, so if you want to pull the upset, maybe, you know. And I told you that they're in an interesting part of Michigan's schedule because Michigan just played Penn State, and then they will play Ohio State the next week. And look, Maryland, I think, will be good enough to be that surprise team. Like they're still going to be, I think, a seven-eight win team. 
that's the perfect kind of team. And you're on the road, so you got to take another road trip. That's the perfect kind of team to be like, oh, that's a huge upset. Because look, when we talk this time of the year, none of it makes sense. Like you, like none of the upsets we will end up seeing make sense right now. Like if I just said in a vacuum, Maryland's going to upset Michigan, be like, huh, turtles? Like really? I was like, yeah. Why not? They're going to be a borderline top 25 team. They're not going to be awful. And then, again, like I said, placing the schedule. I'm not boldly calling that without seeing one ounce of football this year, but I'm just telling you that like that's the kind of thing late in the year that could cause chaos. Uh, and I've, I've talked enough about it. Now, I will remember. I will, I, will either, I will either avoid it viciously on this show and not remind anybody if it's like 42 to 10, or if Maryland scares them and or beats them. So like, See? Remember that August <laughs> conversation? See? Um, so I kind of like Maryland. I, I want them to, you know, if Penn State's not going to get serious about being at the top, let's have Maryland have a, have a nice little year uh, this year and, and do something productive. All right, let's do what we do with all the conferences before we go to our break, TP. Let's give you a couple hot seats and uh, nail you down to a title game here. So hot seat-wise – Think we're finally good in in Ann Arbor. Uh, no problems, Ohio State. Any 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 heat on Franklin in your opinion? If he went seven and five this year, is that big trouble? I I think there would definitely be some murmurs. I think it'd be like, mm, this is not supposed that wasn't right. supposed to happen. I think it would definitely open a conversation. All right, what's the hot seat level? I know it's year three. I know and I know he got a big contract, but I'm serious. What's the what's the seat warrant for Mel Tucker? It should be like in a 12, but the problem is he's locked in. His agent's a genius and got him that huge deal. So they're kind of trapped. You know, they're handcuffed to it. So it's just like it should be a lot hotter. But, it, I mean, unless he goes like 1-11 in 11 or something like that, you're kind of stuck with him. And I don't know if the Michigan State people could really, you know, afford that buyout because I imagine it's astronomical. Because, I'm tr- so it's really big. So. I'm trying to figure out what the buyout, buyout is. All I know is that it was 10-year, $95 million extension. Ugh. Paid like one of the top five or six highest coaches in the country. Oh, I just got a headache from that, and I care nothing about it. There's a very Michigan real State. possibility they go like three and nine as well, or four yeah, and eight, I and, mean, and they're stuck geez. with that. So I would go with like a five. Yeah, I agree. I think, like, I think it's about a six, because I think if they go five and seven again, what are you going to do? But – I think that in reality, it's like if you if they're just not caring about the money at all. I think you're like, yeah, if you don't get better than five and seven this year, we just what what is this? We we we're we've gone in a horrible direction, and the recruiting's not necessarily anything to write home about. You're losing players in the portal. You know, there's no signs of anything slowing down with Ohio State. And also, I talked about this in the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. I think it's relevant in the Big Ten of the middle of the the pack teams here too. The, the second 2024's calendar rolls around, some of these teams get knocked down two more spots. Now, maybe not everyone succumbs to UCLA, but the second USC enters the league, everyone below Penn State on down is, is knocked down another team, knocked down another place. It's important to be positioning yourself in the middle. And Oregon. Well, and Oregon. Uh, and Oregon. And UW. What am I doing? That was so June of me. <laughs> <laughs> Oregon and Washington are going to be in this league too. So most of these teams are getting knocked down two to three spots. 
and the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be like three and four bid leagues. So it's very important to try to be fighting for third and fourth in this conference because those teams could still very much get in the playoff. And so if your teams like Michigan State and Wisconsin and Iowa, you're traditionally pretty solid programs that can be fighting for eight to ten wins. You need to keep fighting for eight to ten wins because that would get you in the playoffs starting in 2024 if you're able to go ten and two with a good schedule like what you're going to have in the Big Ten. So it's very relevant to be fighting for this real estate right now before a couple more big bullies get into the league. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Tucker's hot seat's pretty warm, but it's not as warm as it would be if he didn't have 95 big ones coming to him. Hmm. Uh, Shiano, we don't worry about. Tom Allen, his seat's probably kind of warm. I I think his is actually... I think his could be really hot. Yeah. I think think he's the most likely out of any of them uh, to be fired because it's just been bad, and it's not looking much better this year. And then Flex, fine. We know what's happened at Northwestern. The only other one... I'd have for you is, is what you think about Iowa. What do you think about fairness? That is a situation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he basically runs the program. I mean, he basically runs the athletic de- uh, department. So it's just like I thought last year. I mean, then they got they played a bad part of their schedule, so they got hot. I thought last year might be the end. I thought he might just retire. Nope, he's back. So <laughs> it's just like ah, he's just such a – he's a powerful figure in Iowa. So unless he starts just really – dropping the ball and they're really bad which they they really aren't they're usually very consistently around seven and five eight and four they'll sometimes spike up and they'll sometimes you know go back to six and six but he's he's probably the most secure honestly i would have to say that he's very secure i think he's just the most secure because he's been there for so long i think i was just used to him i think that's it i think Uh they're just accustomed to kirk ferentz you know i think they're i think they're okay with it but i i'd be really interested to see because in 2024, like you said, though all those teams that we talked about, they're better than Iowa. Yeah. They're better than Iowa. So that knocked you down four spots. Yeah. So that's, you know, if they play, which I don't think they would, but they are on the western part. They could play all four of those schools in a in a season. So that's four losses right there. Get the culture shock of a USC versus Iowa game. Oh I know, like, color-wise, it's not, like, the most odd thing, but just color scheme-wise, but just – Iowa going out to SoCal for a conference game. There's going to be some weird stuff. There's, there's weird, Rutgers doing anything is going to be weird, but like, I, there's a, other teams in the league that's going to be interesting. I I think his seat's kind of te- like something. I don't think it's like an. I don't think it's an ice cube. Like I think yeah. Jim Harbaugh's seat's an ice cube, and I think Ryan Day ice cube, and guys that are first year, you know, yeah, yeah, just yeah. sitting pretty, but. I think there's at least I think we've just turned on the heat warmers like we're just kind of like 60 seconds in maybe your car's a little older they take a little bit longer to get the seat warmers going I've used this analogy way too much this week and I apologize to everyone having to sit through it uh I think there's something there I think if they went like six and six with horrid offense I think they would tell Ferentz you need to fire Brian yeah. I think that's what it would be. I don't think it'd be like, we're firing you, but I think it would be like, hey, you need to do something about this offense. We, we're not doing this much longer. I know you're a defensive guy. We win 20-10, great. But it, now it's really costing us games, and we need to end this. So I think that's probably the the level it would go. Big Ten title game, who you got? I'm going to go with Ohio State versus – I'm going with Illinois. 
I think I'm Illinois, not. Okay. I, I would have said Wisconsin, but I think there's a lot of turnover. I think I think Wisconsin was in a really tough spot. I think Fickle's going to do great. I think they'll come in second in the West. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think I think Illinois' offense could be really really tough for what Luke Fickle wants to do, which is like he's trying to basically go into not a total air raid, but he's definitely going towards a heavy passing attack. Which Wisconsin was kind of in that Iowa boat where they were super duper offensively like just very not offensive centric. They were a very defensive team. So I think that could be, you know, some first year growing pains, but I'll go with the Buckeyes versus the fighting Illini for the battle of the ill buck. So uh, yes, the trophy. So. so I'm just a little scared about Luke Altmeyer. He'll be the starter. He did get some Lane Kiffin coaching, which I I like there for quarterbacks, but you know, it's, it's interesting. All I, again, SEC guy going to Illinois too is a bit weird to me. I'm gonna go. I'm sorry, man. No, I'm gonna go. Okay. I'm gonna go Michigan again because it is a home game. I'll. I'll. I'll it's gonna be that. Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's not gonna be Penn State. I'll take Michigan. Uh, I'm doing this so I can hedge my bets. He just railed on Iowa for half an hour. I was thinking of them, but I wasn't. Gonna I'm gonna take Iowa. Luke Fickle in year one, I think you'll get there. I think like if if we had kept the status quo in the Big Ten, I think Wisconsin starting like year two, year three, I think they're going to ride off and, and win that division year in, year out. However, it's not going to be how it works because of the new teams in the league. But I respect Wisconsin down the line. I think we're a year away from being solid on them. Illinois, like I said, Bielma has proven to be a really good coach in the Big Ten. He knows what he's doing. He knows what that style of football is like. I'm not sure that I love Altmeyer. I'm not sure that I love the fact they did lose five stars on both sides of the ball. When Iowa returns nine on offense, seven on defense, they know they need a year. Their defense is never a problem. They are they've been under twenty points a game in the last six years or the last seven years. So they're that you know you'll get defense. You just need just to whip just get a whiff of offense. You don't have to be legitimately good on offense. Just be sixtieth in the country and I would be fine. And so I'll take Iowa versus Michigan. I'll take Michigan because I'm not going to be that rambunctious uh, in the Big Ten title game. Uh, but Iowa can be set up. It, it, that division's so weak. I, I would take Penn State, Ohio State, and and Michigan over over that division in the Big Ten and the other side of the Big Ten. Someone's going to get to win it. Uh, it could come down to someone that's like 5-3 and three in the league or something, but someone will win that other side of the division. That's it for our Big Ten preview. Fun stuff right there again tomorrow. We will conclude our Power 5 conferences with the Southeastern Conference. But for now, we take our final timeout of today's show. Back to wrap it up right after this. Call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
final few moments of Sports Call today. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger FM and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday. About to wrap things up. Want to remind you one more time that coming up 7 o'clock airtime tonight, right here on Tiger 95.9 at 7.30. You got Beauregard High School on the uh, AHSA Kickoff Classic as Borgard taking on Selma. So, again, 7.30 airtime for that uh, 8 o'clock kickoff. That originally was a 7 o'clock kickoff, moved back an hour to 8 o'clock. Uh, so that's why a little bit later for the normal high school schedule. Smith Station will be a 7 o'clock airtime tomorrow, tomorrow evening on FM Talk 93.9 with a 7.30 kickoff time. Time for our Sports Call Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Just real quickly, don't have time for the music today. You've got uh, all movie picks except for the Little League World Series, which continues on at 6 o'clock on ESPN. Movie picks, 6.30 FX, it's Captain America. 7 o'clock on AMC, it's Twister. 7 p.m. on Disney, it's Pocahontas. And 7.45 on HBO, it's the first Avatar. So good stuff right there. That will do it for the show today. TP, thank you, sir, for being here this afternoon. And uh, I know you'll be on the board tonight. But uh, appreciate everything that you do. We'll see you again next week. Yes, sir. See you all later. And that will do it for the show today. Again, Borgard High School coming up with the 7.30 airtime. So keep it right here a little bit later on Tiger 95.9. For Brooks Childress, who joined us earlier, and TP Hammock, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.